passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. As if they don't have too much on their plates. The Kings of Combat Sports Podcast, John and Wade. They'll talk about the things they did that day. They'll analyze the work of Vince and Triple H. Rwanda Smackdown. 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 Hello and welcome to Rewind a Smackdown. I'm John Pollock along with Wei Ting. Wei. I was worried that maybe tonight we would have less stuff to talk about, so we tacked on the WWE 24 documentary, but I feel we're going to have a lot to talk about on this show. There is never a shortage of pro wrestling in this world, nor pro wrestling news. I think even just on the news today, we would have enough to talk about. Yes, I wanted to start off uh, with, first of all, I, I want to get to the Jeremy Borash news, but I also wanted to uh, bring up a, a tweet I sent out today that has just taken on a life of its own and i i just i i was stunned at all of this today we were talking about this on monday we were just uh looking at some of the youtube views from the royal rumble the night before and i was working today and i just i was kind of curious because whenever they do one of those braun Strowman stunts they, they typically do very well on youtube and i was just kind of curious how that did and while looking at that i looked at the the royal rumble numbers and to me, the the one that blew me away was Rey Mysterio. His surprise entrance was just viewed. At the time I looked at it, it was like 6.2 million views. And now it's over seven. It's just, uh, I, I don't follow the YouTube numbers every single week, but that's enormous for a 48-hour period for a WWE clip. So I decided to tweet out the top four uh, videos that were part of the Royal Rumble. And that was probably uh, an ill-advised move because by doing that, I kind of made it this comparison. So all of these people were looking at how big Ray's clip was as compared to Ronda's, which is not really accurate because Ronda's clip was sent out to all these media outlets. And I wasn't even thinking anyone would compare the two between Ray and Ronda, but it became this giant thing today, Way. And I'm sorry if I'm boring you to death, but this was, uh, I was just in the crossfire of this all day. And I don't know how anyone could make the argument of who the bigger star is, uh, especially when you look at just the gross impressions Rhonda has received over the last two days from her Royal Rumble appearance. But nonetheless, uh, this was, this was my day way of just watching all of these people on my timeline just, uh, discussing this. So what are your takeaways? From this experiment. Um, that I think it's fine to look at YouTube as just a segment of just casual interest in certain clips. But in this case, the Ronda one was an aberration because 
that was not just exclusive to YouTube, that 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 people could watch it. So first of all, 2.2 million views is still quite a lot by WWE standards. But uh, in this instance, I mean, there's just people were looking at this as some kind of negative on Ronda. It's like, have you been living under a rock for two days? Like, look at all of the publicity that Ronda has gotten in all of these different places. Like it's, it's mind boggling to me that people would be talking about this as some kind of a negative on uh, Ronda. But to me, the story was Ray. Like that was, I don't care what you say. That was a huge amount of engagement that Ray Mysterio's return got. And granted, there's some nostalgia there, but I mean, 7 million views is, I, I think that's really, that's the story. And maybe I should have just sent out that particular statistic rather than made it a, uh, a list. But nonetheless, who doesn't love a list, right? I love this. Uh, but certainly, I think, you know, YouTube hits, uh, tweet, number of likes on, on a tweet or a number of retweets. These are all kind of uh, stats that... You, they're just curiosity things. I mean, these are not—they're not scientific be all, at all. End all. They're but, not. Yeah. But exactly. to say, but to say they mean nothing. I don't think you could say that. Uh, so, no. So you know, like you said, I, I do feel like maybe Rey Mysterio's return has sort of been uh, understated in light of all this Ronda Rousey news, and maybe there's something there. I'm sure they're taking a look at those numbers, and perhaps to them it means something. Uh, for whatever reason, you know, we don't know if Rey Mysterio is coming back. We don't know if it was a one night thing. Uh, my guesses are maybe they couldn't come to terms on a on a price, but perhaps something like this is an indication to them that, hey, maybe this guy's worth a lot more money than we're willing to budge for right now. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I put that out and I think people like I wasn't editorializing anything. I was just these were the YouTube statistics. I was very specific about that. But anyway, it was uh, interesting to see just how people uh, took this particular uh, list. But uh, breaking news, Ronda Rousey, gigantic star, and yes, a bigger star than Rey Mysterio. Uh, conclusion. Now, the um, really the bigger news today was Jeremy Borash. I think this is a really big story. Um, not story of the year or anything, but to me, this guy was the pulse, the lifeblood of TNA wrestling from their inception. And when I was writing about him today in the update and just going over in my head of all the different duties and roles this guy has played in front of the camera, behind the scenes, not to mention the ones that I'm probably not even aware of. It's staggering how much stuff this guy did uh, for the company. And for WWE to get this guy, I think this is, it it could potentially be a a fantastic hire for the WWE, but I think even more um, to the point is that it's a huge loss for Impact. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Um, I think for the WWE, they're getting somebody who's a real utility man who can who can do almost um, uh, anything outside of wrestling. It felt like Jeremy Borash was uh, actually he did that, too. He wrestled as well. But I mean, wait, literally <laughs> think of any role on camera. Uh, yes, he did wrestling. He did in-ring announcing, he did play-by-play, he yeah. did color, backstage interviews, he hosted those great Feast or Fired reveals, he did editing, he, he ho- was yeah. the MC at house shows, mm-hmm. he was involved in creative, he was the guy that would tailor the UK television okay, for that calm market. Down. Calm it down, calm it down, okay? It's crazy, it's- dude, when, when you think about 
everything this guy did. And he was about to, uh, about to host a, a wrestling program on the radio for them as That's well. That's right. That's right. Uh, anyway, uh, he, I think is, you know, it, it remains to be seen exactly what his duties will be as part of the WWE. I think for a long time, I couldn't see him fitting into that, um, that, that system simply because, you know, that system kind of has their Jeremy Borashes. They have somebody who does the house show MC and they have somebody to do the editing. They have somebody to do the announcing. They have somebody, they don't necessarily want somebody who can do a bit of everything. They kind of have. He's specials. like an engine. He's like an engine that can just be a jack of all trades. And you're right. It's like it's very much job specific where he's going. And I think if he does end up in NXT, that's probably a great environment for him to be in. In a smaller, um, in a smaller, um, not under the big umbrella of the WWE on the main roster. Yeah. But I mean, who I- knows what he's going to be doing. I think what what it speaks to me is that I mean we've seen whether it be these selfie promos or or uh, any number of I guess new type of technologies that they're trying they're more experimental now with their production than ever and hiring somebody who uh, is kind of known for their creative mind like a Jeremy Borash I think is them trying to branch out of their kind of you know let's say kind of stagnant production values and and seeing you know what else is out there in the wrestling world certainly um i have to wonder if any of this broken matt hardy stuff uh is any influence um you know perhaps bringing him in to help work give finally bring some life to that character i don't know i could only hope for their sake that he is put on that project but even if he is just a hire on nxt i guarantee you somebody like him will be able to help you make some make these selfie promos a bit more uh palatable than than what they currently are for instance yeah and i and i think as well um like i think everyone's looking at all this different stuff this guy can do now with a budget but i think we all have to kind of Look at yeah. you know how much how much power this guy's realistically going to be given. I mean, he's not coming in and replacing Kevin Dunn and becoming the creative director. That's going to change. I mean, that's kind of we're just getting nor, silly here. At, at, nor nor should he. Like, I, no. I I really feel like Kevin Dunn Dunn catches like way too much flack. Like he probably does a lot of things that when we don't like it, we really notice. But all the great things he's done, you. I don't think the man gets enough appreciation for. Um, it's like tev- television production is one of those things where, like, when it's bad, you notice it, but when it's good, Dude, it's rarely uh, noticeable. So that close-up shot on Monday that we were talking about with Sasha Banks—I mean, that was that was a great shot. We talked it's, about. It's not even just shit like that. It's like WrestleMania, dude. Like everything, yeah. you know, like yeah. Raw, yeah. like like. All the innovations that we've come to take for granted up until this point, much of it you can probably point to Vince McMahon and Kevin Dunn. And those guys never get enough credit. Um, so, you know, Jeremy Borash is, is very talented, but he's not at that level. And but, but with that said, like, you need somebody to come in with fresh ideas. And he's somebody with fresh ideas. He's somebody who kind of had – I've been there backstage and, and seeing some of this stuff. And, like, the man, like, did everything. The guy shot interviews. He was a cameraman outside of, like, doing everything else. So – I think he's uh, of great value um, to anybody who hires him, and I'm, I'm, I'd like to see exactly what he'd be able to accomplish, especially under a system like NXT. As well, I mean, TNA Impact, they've just shot 12 weeks of television. The first one's going to be airing uh, tomorrow night 
uh, Thursday night, and I don't know how far ahead they are with uh, voicing these episodes because they typically just voice them, you know, a week, 10 days out, would you say, that you're now going to have to find a new a new guy to be calling this, presumably with Josh Matthews, who they were getting set to transition away from the announced team. Could be Matthews, but um, I mean, hey, dude, it could be Don Callis. Like, they, they, there's no shortage of, I think, people willing to do that job in professional wrestling, probably even within Impact itself. Like, the thing is, what we've seen is with the past year with Impact and, and the past decade with Impact, they, they've dealt with things like this before. And I have no doubt that they will come through and they will survive. Like, short of like, short of, I don't know. I don't even know what happened. I mean, short of like, I guess money completely drying up or or them being bought up by another company, they will manage to produce a show. They will get a show on air. So I even, even with the loss of somebody as big as Jeremy Borash, which is a huge blow, I feel like they will create a show at the end of the day somehow. Yeah, I just I look at this one somewhat differently because it's not just a guy that held a lot of roles, but it was all like this is a symbolic one to me. Like Jeremy Borash has somehow become like the person you most associate with this company. I mean, it's down to Bob Ryder and and Jeremy Borash who were the last guys that were day, there from day one. Uh, so, uh, you're right. It was Abyss as well. So he's there as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Like morale must be like this. Probably strikes like uh, that company probably a lot harder than even like somebody like Jarrett leaving. You know what I mean? Like I think Borash was really well liked by almost everybody and heavily respected by almost everybody. Uh, I'm sure it's a huge blow to them. Um, you know. Hey, but who knows? Like, what if it doesn't work out? Maybe he'll just go right back. But uh, I think for Borash, it's the right move. Um, I think the man can reach his potential um, under under a bigger system at this point. So I hope to see more from him. Would you Do you expect to see him uh, in a on-camera position or strictly behind the scenes? I feel like he's so associated with TNA that I personally, if I was the WWE, not do that. Also because you have so many people who are announcers in your system already that I don't think you yes. need another one. I think... You keep Borash either, um, you know, in the background doing a lot of the production or having him, have him do some some of the work for, for your digital media, your social media, maybe host a radio show. Who knows? Um, but I think he would be of more value there. But of course, like there there may come a day when, you know, they're short a person and they need an extra announcer and, you know, he could do the job so he can come in and do it. But I wonder if Borash himself wants to do it. You know, at this point, or does he want? Would he prefer doing the backstage stuff? I'm not sure, but my gut feeling tells me he won't be on air. Yeah, I would. I can't see him being an announcer. They're just they're so full of announcers at this point that I don't. I let me put it this way: I don't see him coming in and replacing an existing announcer now. And uh, I don't think I don't think he needs to necessarily be utilized. Uh, in front of the camera, I think that there's enough stuff you could... I mean, he was hired for a reason, obviously. But, so but man, like, have, hey, if they wanted to, like, do a TNA invasion, I feel like they're they're more than ready uh, for it right now. I don't think they're going to do that. Of course not. No. But I'm just saying, I'm just... I'm just I'm, my point is, look at this roster, man. Like, EC3's coming in. We got Spud debuting. We have uh, uh, Jeremy Borash, who could be the, the ringleader. And then, uh, you know, I who's, mean... Who's this Spud you talk about? 
Drake. I, I met I met someone else tonight. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah, lots of news to talk about. All right. Well, without further ado, let's get into it. Our fourth consecutive night in Philadelphia. And Shinsuke Nakamura started the show. And this was going to be an interesting test here. Nakamura starting the show with a promo. And he said, Sami Zayn, knee to the face. John Cena, knee to the face. And they cheered this. Roman Reigns, knee to face. And at WrestleMania, AJ Styles, knee, face, new WWE champion. Mm-hmm. This was short. Uh, it was drama- It was done to leave certain pauses for uh, like easy boos for the likes of Cena and Reigns, and then get this little knee to the face line across, which he's been using. Uh, what did you think about this? I thought it was a really well designed promo for Shinsuke Nakamura. Uh, it was a very promo that was very short on words, but contained a, an easy to understand pattern. Uh, and showcased his personality through the, the, an economy of words. And if there's anything we've learned from Bray Wyatt, it's that when you're talking, less is sometimes more. And I thought that was the case here. I thought that was the case with Asuka. So it f- feels like they, they are treating these guys serious. But I would say above all, maybe what we're learning this week is that the key to pushing these non-English speakers is to just have them win big matches. And I, I certainly felt like the momentum, obviously, coming out w- uh, off of both of them winning the Rumble helped the audience give them this attention and this leeway to cut these kind of very unconventional promos. Yeah, and I think it's also going to be a test for them that they're heavily pushing Asuka and Shinsuke Nakamura, that there's the natural inclination that what works for one, we can just extrapolate to the other. Mm-hmm. And I I think that you have to realize these are two separate characters that yes are japanese but just because uh this works for asuka doesn't mean we can just put it onto shinsuke and that's the way we're going like these are two unique personalities and i don't want that to be lost here it's very true and i'm sure like they they'd be aware of that criticism to try to not just bundle both of them in together um but there are a lot of similarities with both characters, you know, they're both uh, the characters that are kind of very flamboyant and come out and just kick ass. Um, so, but you're right. I feel like they kind of need to come up with kind of like, uh, you know, figure out the the base and the framework of what's working here, but to make them distinct enough for both of them to kind of fit their individual personalities. Uh, before we move on, you, uh, I don't know if you noticed, but during Nakamura's entrance, when he did his big um, uh, bridge, big bold letters flashing across the screen that read uh, Rockstar. Do you see that? How did I miss this? <laughs> well, I mean, the graphics department, I, I guess, was kind of, uh, I don't know if it okay. was hijacked today or what, but they were trying okay, a number I was, of, yeah. what did, did you watch this on Sportsnet? Yes. Or did you watch this online? Sportsnet, yeah. Huh. Okay. Why? I just I didn't see this, so I was I was warned. I was so, getting a lot of comments from people about the graphics, and I mean I saw some stuff, but I don't so, I don't know. So there were two only two noticeable like big things for me, and that was uh, this entrance with Nakamura, where they just decided to like have the word rock star wipe across the screen. Um, I don't. 
I don't know about that. I like I again I appreciate the fact that they're trying to do things. I feel like this company is being more experimental with their production now than ever. I'm not sure I like this. Uh it was this and and then of course it was the the whole prison bars for oh, for the Usos. Oh, yes. Yes, we'll get to that. Yeah. Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn interrupted uh Nakamura and said they were screwed out of their titles. They should be the co-champions and the vendetta machine created by Shane McMahon is holding them back. Zayn said the referee had one job to protect the integrity of the match at all cost, and they want another shot, and that Nakamura is going to end up facing both of them at WrestleMania. Nakamura says Styles is a winner. They are losers. AJ comes out and says there will be a dream match in New Orleans between him and Nakamura, and he suggests a dream team for tonight with him and Nakamura taking on Owens and Zayn. But Owens and Zayn leave, then they hop back on the apron. And they say no to the match and get knocked off the apron by Styles and Nakamura to end the opening segment uh, with Styles aligned with Nakamura. And I like the idea that they're pushing this right from the get-go as a dream match. For two months, this is going to be pushed as this huge meeting of these two. Yeah, I think it's wonderful. I think it. even if you don't think of it as a dream match, hearing it so often will make it a dream match. So, uh, it's a deja vu dream match, uh, for some people, many people probably haven't seen, seen it already, but I think for a baby face versus baby face match, teaming the two, uh, from, uh, as the start of the program feels like a good direction to go. They're starting off as friends now, but I, uh, obviously you can see them with two months, three months, how much, how much time, two months, a- April One. April 8th? Okay, about two months. With two months to go, you can... St- I think hopefully they'll, they'll be able to tell the story of how this friendship slowly dissolves. And hopefully by the end of... Uh, uh, by, the, by the beginning of April, they really start to hate each other. It's actually a great line at the end of Shinsuke finally telling AJ, the last time we met, I beat you. And that's all you need. Yeah, I mean, it remains to be seen if they'll really kind of draw attention to that or if they want to push this as a first-time meeting. It suggests the the latter, that we are not going to acknowledge Wrestle Kingdom 10. Mm-hmm. Daniel Bryan's in his office. Owens and Zayn walked in, and they state how Styles cannot make matches, but he can, and he makes the tag match for tonight. Zayn complains about the referee's blown call at the Royal Rumble, And Brian says the referee's decision is final, even though he did make a mistake, and they just want another opportunity. Brian agrees. He says they will get another shot, but it's going to be Owens versus Zayn next week on SmackDown, and then the winner will face AJ Styles at Fastlane in March. So, to me, it seemed like this Brian heel turn was over. Like, or at least any type of teasing of his being aligned with Owens and Zayn. And even his uh, feud with Shane. There was no more um, uh, no more storyline or no more development in terms of that direction. So, did they just drop that whole thing? There was nothing here with Shane, which was interesting. I will say, it's not like they're just... There's at least some resolution to this in that... Brian's plan worked. These two have now started to deteriorate. But it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense why he... How how do you know that that was Brian's plan? 
Well, I'm giving a lot of creative uh, leeway here to like, because, SmackDown. Because Brian, or sorry, because Zayn and Owens very well could have won if not for that referee. So Exactly. The finish should have been that these two just couldn't, they couldn't work together in the end. And Brian knew this about these two. He's known these guys for years. He knew that they'd never get on the same page. But that wasn't the finish. He lucked into these guys losing the match. But, but we also never got a clear indication that that was ever Brian's plan. And I think you needed it either on Sunday or on this episode where Brian could just come out and say, ha got you. We never okay. got that moment. Here's the out for them. Okay. Road dog, write this down. So the plan could have been that, okay, I'm going to take this risk here with AJ Styles. He could end up losing the title here to these two in an unfair situation. But Shane doesn't know this, but I hate Owens and Zayn just as much. And I want to see these two crumble. So they win the title. And then Brian was going to make them face each other in a singles match because you can't have co-champions. And then they would have to turn on one another because both are so greedy. Again, I, I think I think a Daniel Bryan character would never do that. Somebody who cares about, uh, uh, I guess, the the traditions of of sport this much would never sacrifice AJ Styles losing the championship in order to teach these heels a lesson. It's like burning down a house in order to to kill a fly. Is that the expression? Uh, it is now. Okay. Well, yes. this is. This is the house that AJ Styles burnt down to kill a fly. <laughs> yeah. I well, I mean, I was just disappointed that we didn't get a resolution. I mean, I guess they let, I guess let, it let's can't not get too continue. far ahead of ourselves. I mean, this is also I mean let let's but this is two let, weeks now. We had nothing. Well, let's let's give them the benefit of the doubt for a week. Okay. Jinder Mahal, Kofi Kingston, Bobby Roode, and Zack Ryder. Four way number one contenders match. For the United States title. Uh, I don't know how Zack Ryder got a spot in this. I don't even really know how Kofi got a spot in all of this. Yeah, you figure Mojo would be the one. But I guess he just had had the title shot. So He just had his chance. But Mm -hmm. I mean, was Zack Ryder... I mean, he was in the Royal Rumble for what? A cup of coffee. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kofi was in for a cup of coffee. I didn't even I didn't even try and set myself up for that one. I just realized what oh. I had done after the Ryder joke. Bobby Roode is on commentary. Biggie is uh, throwing pancakes at Corey Graves. I'm done with these pancakes. Me too. I don't think they're funny. I don't. I don't think they are amusing. I don't know. I I mean, um, how much of the New Day's humor do you personally connect with? Because, um, like, a lot of it, I don't. But I appreciate, you know, it's like it's it's amusing. It's I I appreciate that I buy these three as legitimately best friends and they have a natural chemistry with one another. I can appreciate that, even though I don't always find most of their stuff funny. But their chemistry to me almost overcompensates for the material because they're just they're three guys that are they're just fun people. Completely. I completely agree with you. Uh, Yeah. The pancake thing. It's it's just kind of, you know, their flavor of the month, you know. Blueberry. <laughs> the winner will get this title shot against Rude next week. Uh, Ryder clotheslined Mahal to the floor. Uh, we saw Kingston do his diving trust fall. And then Rusev teased a dive with everyone on the floor. But Sunil Singh grabbed his foot, and this led to Aiden English shoving him. The New Day got involved. And then 
in the spot that never fails. The referee ejected them all and everyone went crazy. It always. Yeah. And like in the end, it's it's such a small thing. You can no longer stand here. But, but the way the people being ejected sell it, it just makes yeah. it every time. It's like the guaranteed pop in wrestling is the ejection. In baseball. Yeah, you're right. That's where the they get it from, isn't too. it? I, I imagine that's maybe the origin. Mm-hmm. I don't know. When was the first uh, managerial ejection in a professional wrestling contest? Mm. They come back from break. Uh, Ryder hit a missile drop kick to Rusev. There was a broski boot. Mahal then took out Ryder with a kick. And then Rusev... Tosses Mahal to the floor. He yells out Rusev Day, and he goes for the Stackalade, which oh. is two, two men on top of one another. Which you, was I? Who named that? Corey Graves, not me. Oh, really good. I like it. Sorry, it almost fits the pancake gimmick more than it does Rusev. Yeah, it does. Uh, Mahal attacks from behind, so we never got the Stackalade. Uh, the Colossus is avoided by Rusev. Then we had a rough rider, super kick to rider, and then Rusev blocked the SOS. An O'Connor roll is turned into the accolade, a single serving, and Rusev submitted Kofi Kingston. So Rusev will face Bob Rude for the U.S. title. Bob Rude. Mm. Uh, I thought a solid, you know, mid card match. Rusev is certainly the right choice for this role, but. Uh, the crowd wasn't nearly as hot for him tonight as they were uh, during the Rumble. And I find that kind of interesting because these Rusev Day chants, they're somewhat inconsistent. Sometimes the man feels like the biggest star on the roster. But then other other nights, this is, a, I guess, all the same town. But for whatever reason, this uh, tonight, he just kind of felt like another person on the roster. Those chants came, but like only after some encouragement from this mat, from the match. So, uh Rude versus Rusev, I, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see who the crowd will cheer for, for that one. Yeah, I'd, I would love to know what the turnover is of an an audience member at SmackDown, the fourth night of four straight nights of how much wrestling they have attended over that weekend. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to imagine that travelers that have come in for this, SmackDown would be the least likely that they'd be uh, sticking around for. At mm-hmm. most, you're probably staying for Raw. Um, Certainly. granted that, granted that front row was there every single night of these, uh, four nights in Philadelphia, God bless them, but I don't know how they do it. But the assumption um, is that your, your older male, you know, quote unquote, uh, internet fan audience is probably the one who is chairing Rusev day, but you would assume that perhaps on, by the fourth night, uh, and, and this being a SmackDown, maybe that type of fan is not necessarily in, in attendance. Yeah. Uh, Rusev goes up to Bobby Roode, points at his title, and then walks away as Roode's music plays. It's like, what the hell? Rusev just c- completed the physical task here, and Roode's music plays after doing commentary. The fashion files came back, and they have the top 10 superstars listed. And they uh, they aired this promo on the show that they're introducing a top 10 ranking system on SmackDown that the wrestlers in storyline will get to vote on, but they can't vote for themselves. So what I, I'm still not really sure what this is. And I thought they would explain it on the show, but I I'm still not that like they, they did, listened. But. They listened to us on Monday night, complain about the rankings of how a Matt Hardy and an Elias could have a winner must go to the elimination chamber match. And they decided, Hey, we could really do some solid rankings on SmackDown. Okay, so they're actually going to have rankings, and and in storyline, these rankings are voted on by the roster. The wrestlers, 
Yes. And but our, they can't vote for themselves. Okay, so each week we're going to see wrestlers cast their vote. Correct? Oh, maybe like Survivor. Where yeah. they go to the camera. That could be a good selfie po- promo where they can explain who their top 10 list is. Mm. And and the point is to set up new challengers? Okay, well, this is where they explained that it will be... They basically said it would be like a reference point to help them make matches and make decisions. Like, this will be a tool that they can look at for guidance. It's so, not like the, like the number one guy. Here, so it's, it's, it's just like the UFC rankings, then. Uh, probably better the, than the UFC rankings. But, but basically, they don't mean anything. Uh, not really. I'm just pulling up uh, what it was here of how they're actually going to because there was a criteria okay here it is um in the storyline the performers will be the ones voting and it will be based on who is the most talented who has the most athletic skill and the biggest one way locker room leadership uh yeah that's interesting that is certainly interesting um how how hmm. do you do a top 10 on locker room leadership like how do you Break that one down. So, so will this be a program? Like, how will how will they reveal the the top ten? I imagine this they'll do it maybe a weekly segment on the show. Interesting. Okay. I don't see this lasting long. I think this will be one of those gimmicks that one week is just forgotten about and is never referenced again. Again, it feels like at this point they're they're being as experimental as they've ever been with with a lot of different things and seeing what sticks. So. I mean, I, I love experimentation uh, in pro wrestling, and uh, we'll see how this does. But, I mean, I'm assuming a lot of these things probably won't last too long. You would think with all their big push on fan interaction that they would have incorporated that into this. Although, but that's as we nightmare. saw with – It is. When TNA did it, it was a disaster. I mean, Nigel McGuinness would probably be the number one ranked guy on SmackDown. Whenever they do um – What's what's that? Uh, the People's Choice thing. What was that? Taboo Tuesday. Yes. Like it, it's all like worked polls, or at least like polls with only one viable option. Anyway, so I don't want to see them do that. Anyway, back to this fashion file segment. The Ascension are reading questions from the fans. Gable and Benjamin walk in. They insult Brizongo, calling them clowns. But then they bring up the fact that you guys lost two falls to the Usos. So they set up a match to find out who are the biggest losers between Brizongo and Gable and Benjamin for later. And then they dump this table over with three working laptops. Yeah, or at least we we thought they were working. I loved when Fandango whispers, man, that's my mom's computer. <laughs> Man, they could have spilt tea on one of them. Oh, the ultimate. The Usos come out and they refer to the city of brotherly love and winning two straight falls on Sunday. And then they go to list all the teams they've run through American Alpha. And then we get a pause and a giant cell closes on the screen with a graphic of cell bars. And this proceeded, uh, this followed with all the rest of the teams they listed off. American Alpha 2, which is kind of funny. The Hype Bros, Breezango, New Day. He said Breezango. <laughs> Jimmy or so. Breezango. I don't uh, think, I don't, like, I think, I mean, a man, the man is a great wrestler, but clearly does not know the names of the other teams on on his own show, because like at one time he he called them the Bullet Club. 
Like, you call Gallows and he, he just, <laughs> he doesn't give a shit, which is funny. Breeze Dango is funny. It's it's a more appropriate name, really, when you think about it. And yeah, it's a little, it a little easier to say, too, with that D in there. Um, <laughs> these graphics were horrendous. Uh, this felt, um, many Ugh. people brought this up to me, that it looked like something out of a AV project in 10th grade. Uh, yeah. Terrible. I can't believe this even aired. And the Usos, uh, t- the unfortunate part was I thought on its own, this was a very strong promo from the Usos. But these stupid bars, just to me, um, over overrode the promo like the, yeah. the exact thing you don't want to have something like this it, it just overshadowed the promo and took away from it i think this lockdown thing which they've they've done before um maybe uh, they realized for whatever reason that you know the crowd wasn't necessarily catching on they're not chanting lockdown along with them so they they felt like they needed something and somebody had the idea of that something being a, a gif of cell bars actually appearing on the screen in order to, to get people to chant lockdown. Um, it felt really forced. Maybe this is a T. Maybe it is a TNA invasion way. Sure. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. I mean, they're not using lockdown for that April pay-per-view. They changed the names. So. Yes, yes. There's the tease. But it was just too much, a little too gimmicky. And you're right. I thought it was a good uh, promo by the end. Are you going to go through the rest of it? Yeah, I mean, Jay, like they, they do their usual promo, but this was a much more serious one mm-hmm. because they said the difference is that these two are brothers and Jay's struggles are Jimmy's struggles. And that's what makes us different than any other team it doesn't matter if you're part of a club, a bar, or a shield. And he looks at Jimmy and says, we are the best tag team in the WWE. I thought a really good promo from these two. Like, it was still the Uso style, but it was more substance than usual as mm-hmm. well. And it was just kind of like, you put you booked these guys really strong at the pay-per-view, and they came out, and this was kind of like just a segment for the guys to beat their chest, which is something you don't yeah. always get for a team just to put some heat on them. It was, uh, I thought, a very good promo minus the graphics department. I'm with you. I think the Usos have built up enough credibility to be able to claim them the, the title of being the best tag team in the WWE, if not the best tag team in the world. That's what they should really be saying because I think there are a number of people. I mean, yourself, John, you voted them. They the were best my tag team of last year. Tag team of the year. So they should be shouting the fact that, hey, we're not just the best tag team in the WWE. We're the best tag team in the whole world right now. And I think they've developed enough credibility to be able to actually say that and have people believe them. So even if like people don't believe that, if you say that enough times, again, people are going to start to believe it. So now... Maybe- Maybe they watched New Beginning though on Sunday and they were like, eh, let's let's just keep it to our our company." <laughs> so, but now, you know, like I think the Usos are doing great. Like whereas before, I feel like, you know, our our criticisms of them are that, "Oh, they're doing so well." I mean, think of where they were, you know, 2 years ago when when they were just the face paint guys who never spoke and look at where they've come. Uh and 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 if you do that comparison, then certainly they're great. But I feel like now they should be at a level that is even higher than that. And so I'm going to nitpick a little here. I definitely feel like there's still something wrong with the promos, preventing them from reaching their complete potential. I, I think, you know, they're not fully connecting with the audience. And I feel like they have the potential to. Part of the problem, in my opinion, is that I feel like they're talking a little too fast. I feel the style is almost a little too rushed. 
I think it's cool to like have that great ramp up at the end like they they were able to do here. Um, but I feel like if you started off with a bit of a slower delivery, a bit lower energy, and then you ramp it up towards the end like they were like they were able to do here, I feel like it'd be that much more effective. Um, I also think they need to dial back the. Uh, I don't know the the thug thing. You know what I mean. And when I say that, I I just mean like I've you see what these guys are like on Total Divas, and then you see them here. It just kind of feels like they're trying too hard to look hard. Like like they're kind like they kind of come out across as like suburban teenagers, like who just discovered BET or something. I think they just need to dial that whole thing back a little bit and be funny, like be entertaining, be be a bit more likable. Rather than just like come out looking all hard with like your grills and all that. That's it looks cool. Great. But now show us a bit more of your personality in order for us to actually like you. And, you know, the whole thing about um, them talking about their struggle. I think that's all awesome. But it just kind of came out of nowhere. Like I felt like they came out here and were bragging about their wins. And then all of a sudden they just started talking about them having to overcome a lot. And it just... It felt like it didn't really build up and it, to, to this, uh, like it was never part of their storyline, for instance. There's a lot of great material there. I just think it needs to be put together in a more, I think, cohesive way. And I think you have like really, you know, uh, uh, um, maybe the best tag team in the world. So the Usos end their promo, and then Luke Harper and Eric Rowan's music plays, and they pass by the Usos. On their way to the ring for their own match. And it appears, given the fact that the Usos really don't have a team to feud with at the moment, that we're going to the Harper Rowan program. Yeah, if not now. Um, I mean, certainly... It'd be hard to hold this off until WrestleMania. Yeah, I imagine they'll probably have a match uh, at Fastlane. But it's a program that you can drag into WrestleMania. But yeah, it looks to be the next program. And... And I think it also tells you uh, why maybe the Gable-Benjamin match uh, ended the way it ended on Sunday. Yeah, I also can see like the SmackDown tag division being one of those where come WrestleMania, it's like all the teams are going to get thrown into a match together just to, so mm-hmm. everyone gets on the show kind I of thing. Rather, it, trivial- yeah. it trivializes the, like, any of the feuds. That, that but that, but that's on. what WrestleMania becomes. I know. And you have all these different titles, and it shouldn't I mean, be you, that way though. You know, just have the, the whatever, just the Rumble to to get. They, they have the Andre Battle Royal for a reason. I think it, it, WrestleMania should be the culmination of your big feuds, not just a chance for to everybody to, for everybody to get on the show. I wish the revival were on this show because the Usos need that team to feud with, and I mm. I don't think they have that team at the moment, and. You know, the revival comes to mind. It's like the revival and Usos, those guys would just have some phenomenal matches together. Well, the draft isn't that far away. Uh, yeah, I guess you're right. I guess they'll do a post mania one like they did last year. Mm-hmm. Eric Rowan and Luke Harper faced these two unidentified performers. Uh, Rowan grabbed one, scared the other off to the floor where he took a big boot, and then we saw a killer bomb delivered to one guy and the double crucifix bomb, and they won this in a minute 49. Anything to say about this other than it was your standard Rowan and Harper match? Squash match. That's it. Yep. Daniel Bryan, this is where he explained the top 10 list and added 
This is going to be so cool. Yeah. So now with these selfie promos, um, I think they realize that, hey, they need a bit of production in order to capture <laughs> people's attention. So what they've started to do is they've started to um, illustrate uh, certain words via, and, and, and they've animated. They, they have certain words that they want to accentuate pop up on the screen. Like like it's one of those lyric videos. Um, so, but like <laughs> they decided to do this in like really shitty looking font and it's all intentional, but it's like almost done as an attempt to kind of match the aesthetic that this is some, this was created by somebody on windows movie maker. Like it's a video blog or like being the leader or something like that. Except again, it just like, it feels overdone when everybody is doing selfie promos and, and in the body of this show, it feels very out of place because it's the one shitty looking thing amongst everything else that looks so polished. I, I can't wait for the first person to start up a YouTube account mimicking these videos with old flare and dusty promos and just <laughs> isolating words. It wouldn't work like nearly as well because those promos are so good. Like it would actually be good if the promos were really good. Um, maybe if like we launched post wrestling like this month, we would probably do these things like this. Could you, uh, I, I think I say this every six months, but just inserting dusty roads into this climate where he's, he's confronted by the trailblazer of the women's evolution and brand ambassador, Stephanie McMahon. <laughs> Well, he had to be the coach for a lot of these people, probably teaching them this type of shit. Don't you think? Yeah. I mean, he, he was in that system. I mean, he had to kind of prepare them for this. Did you watch uh, Being the Elite this week? I did. Wow. How great was that? It was a, it was a, it was a good ending. I mean, they're really, these are really well thought out, these, yeah. these videos. Like, they're, I would love to just know the kind of beginning to end planning of these. Mm -hmm. Of all of this stuff, like just down to like, you know, you're shooting your stuff and it's like they've they're in the middle of dialogue as Kenny Omega is coming up the escalator and they've got to be like they got five seconds to kind of nail this or else you got to just reshoot it again. Yeah, it's just I, I like think it, I think they're just fantastic, like improvisers and and they clearly have incredible chemistry with one another. It's, they don't have the luxury of being overproduced. Like yeah. they're not scripting these out. Obviously, somebody you uh, could like. Like, look at how great Cody is in that like uh, framework. He is just tremendous. And there's somebody who you know for years you watch in the WWE. And I, th I think in, I mean, you see it with Jericho too. You know, now that they they can kind of just say what they want to say, uh, they're much more believable as actors. Yeah. Yeah. So. uh well, we won't spoil anything because I don't have my updated handbook on on uh, the length of a, a YouTube video of when you can talk about it. But oh, I'm yeah. sure I'm sure I'll violate it if I spoil <laughs> the ending right now. Uh, Shane's bragging on the phone about how amazing the Royal Rumble was, and <laughs> this was so funny. I bet you most people missed this line, but he says, "No, I'm still here in Philly." So whoever he was talking to on the phone is so oblivious to what this man's job is. Like, hey, are you are you back home now? No. I run SmackDown on Tuesday nights. So I'm here in Philly still. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe um, he was improvising here. 
Like, who would Shane be on the phone with that they wouldn't know what this guy does? Like, it's Tuesday night, dude. Mm, I don't know who Shane knows in his personal life. Do you call up Vince McMahon on a Monday night at 10 and see if he's watching the football game? Are you telling me that you think everybody who is in contact with Shane McMahon watches WWE? No, but they know that this guy is the I wouldn't I, the GM I, of SmackDown. If I don't follow wrestling. The commissioner. I would, if I would if I don't follow wrestling, I wouldn't know that. I wouldn't well, even know I, SmackDown was on Tuesdays. Well, I, I guess even this know per- SmackDown existed. I well, I guess this person on the phone was asking about well, this person was asking about the Royal Rumble. That was the preceding question. Oh. Said the Royal Rumble was awesome. All right. Person didn't watch the Rumble. They're probably one of those people who got rid of the network. Yes. Anyway. This this was a a huge error on this show. I'm just saying, like, the you guys are scripting this, and you're scripting, like, this guy's friends to not even know what he does for a living on it. Like, every Tuesday night, I run this show. I am the commissioner. Mm. Ty Dillinger walks in. He loves the idea of the top ten. He says that the Rumble was his chance to revitalize himself, and it was taken away from him. Baron walks in. He's upset that Brian gave Owens and Zayn another chance. Shane doesn't think he deserves one. Anyway, Dillinger is standing there, and he goes, I'm still here. Unlike your money in the bank contract, you bitch. And Shane makes a match tonight between Ty Dillinger and Baron Corbin. Yep. 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 This is the match. Uh, (laughs) That's all. Yeah. Not everything requires analysis. No, there's there's more to say. Didn't. There's more to say about them uh, after the match. Renee interviewed Charlotte in the ring about sitting ringside for the Rumble. She says she could not have been more proud. It's the first time she did not want to be champion, so that she could have been in the ring to face all of those legends, or maybe she could have been number three and outlasted everyone, just like someone she knows. And then she explains the moment that broke the internet. And she talks about being in the ring with Alexa Bliss, Asuka, and Rowdy Ronda Rousey, which drew some boos. Well, I thought she was going to bring up Rey Mysterio <laughs> during the Men's Royal Rumble. No, it just it it didn't break anything. It was just it was just an impressive number oh, okay. in a concentrated platform right, of YouTube. Okay. Whereas Ronda Rousey, she she broke many outlets because it was much more broad. My internet was down today. I guess I know why. <laughs> Yes, so uh, AT&T herself uh, is asking who will be standing across from her in New Orleans for WrestleMania. And uh, the answer was not going to be who interrupted them. It was the Riotata squad. Mm. Yes. Ruby comes out, and she's actually given promo time here. She says that Charlotte's ego is as big as her father's. Calls her talented, but arrogant and unoriginal. There's only one Ruby Riotata, and how she looks, talks, and acts. And Charlotte is just a cheap imitation of her father. Her time is over. She's not even going to make it to WrestleMania. And Charlotte's comeback was, are you done yet? And did a big woo. And they all fought. And Charlotte fought all three of them off. But then they regrouped, came back, and they beat her down. It ended with a riot kick. And then Charlotte is left laying. Uh, before we get into the next chapter of this segment, how did you feel Ruby performed? I thought there was some tragically bad acting to start here from Ruby. Um, I, I, and first of all, I enjoyed the line of you know her calling Charlotte a cheap imitation of her father in 
Ruby saying that she's truly original. I think that's cool. But I think she's still trying to find the right voice for this character. Um, it's it, it just feels like something that should belong on NXT. And it's too bad she has to figure it out here rather than on NXT. Because I feel like she probably still has a lot of searching to do. And as the leader of this group, it it kind of puts a lot of pressure on her to find it fast. Um, may, you know, but then again, like, look at, you know, like people like Charlotte, I'm sure, you know, when they began, they were hardly that impressive either. So maybe with, this is how they like to develop their, their, their roster by having them debut and, uh, in less than impressive fashion so that in a year from now you can say, uh, okay, well it took them a while, but you know, they, they managed to find something that works. So yeah, it, it, but for me, Ruby Riot is not working right now. You know, everything I said about the New Day, that they just have this natural chemistry. You feel that these are legitimately friends and that would hang out with one another. The opposite is the case for this group, the Riot Squad. Like, can you imagine Ruby Riot and Liv Morgan and Sarah Logan at a, at a TGIF on a, on a, on a weekend loop sitting down and, and what they would even agree to order? Like, would they split nachos, the three of them? I couldn't even imagine them doing that. I imagine they travel together. I'm sure they do, but they just, you just have three, albeit new characters mm-hmm. that are just like these, the, the, the fact, they're, they're, yeah. they're just like these cookie cutter characters that they've come up with that are just, here's the Southern girl, here's the punk girl, and here's the, I don't, I don't even know, here, here's the cheerleader, Liv Morgan. It's true that uh, I agree with you. Like, I think they were really, the, them and Absolution, I feel like are really lacking a backstory or any t- any fact that, you know, unites them. We know in the Balor Club, they spent time in Japan together. They had a lot of fun together in Japan. Um, the Riot Rapongi Squad. Way. Rapongi, yes. The Riot Squad, I mean, are they, were they uh, picketing outside some, I don't know, uh, vegan march give me something you know like i know sarah logan's not a vegan she hunts but um you're right like they need something that unites them and i don't know what that is yet so then carmella runs down by the way where were naomi and becky i was thinking the same thing this whole beatdown is happening and all i can think about is becky and naomi and neither of these girls showed up Mm. yeah they needed to explain that. I mean, I know Becky was getting ready for the mix match challenge, okay? But uh, have them be, be laid out in the back just to protect them. It makes them look like assholes. Considering the fact they've done this beatdown angle before, and Becky and Naomi have come to her rescue. So it's like we've already established this. They've they've had uh, issues with the Riot Squad already. Yeah. Carmella runs down not to save Charlotte, just to pile on here and everyone's going nuts because she's about to cash in the briefcase uh, which is a great spot Mm -hmm. she hands the briefcase over and then charlotte is staggering up to her feet and carmella runs at her with this drop kick and misses charlotte takes out the referee who plunges down to the floor ruining carmella's chance and then she ends up getting the briefcase and running away and not cashing it in but it was a cool tease and it also showed that this crowd was awake um, because this was like the biggest reaction of the show. Yeah, very nicely done. I thought it's it's been a while since we've had 
any type of, um, I think, reminder like this, that Carmela even has this money in the bank briefcase. Um, so I thought this was, you know, a long time coming and as a result, very surprising. Um, yeah. Do you think she will cash in before Mania? I'm going to guess no. I don't think she will. Yeah, unlikely. Although, I mean, let's say Charlotte Asuka happens at the end of that match. I assume Asuka will win. But that might be a scenario where we'll get another tease. So then we went to Nakamura in the locker room with AJ. And he says he's going to beat him at WrestleMania. And AJ said, what? Are you messing with me? And Nakamura said... I am messing with you. We'll be fine out there. Yeah. Yeah. Dream, um, dream match, but not a dream conversation. <laughs> I think uh, you did a great job recapping it. I personally feel like the less Nakamura talks, the better. And I think they realize that too. Because you kind of have to protect his image as a guy who who looks and sounds cool. I think there's a way to make broken English sound really cool. And I feel like they're kind of hitting on that. But sometimes, most of the time, the broken English just sounds funny. And I think he was bordering on that here with some of the, his pronunciations of certain words. So, um, I've, I mean, I'm, I feel like they probably have to be a bit careful uh, with limiting him. Um but at the same time, like finding really inventive ways of having him speak and sound weird but cool at the same time. So, yeah, it's an interesting experiment. There is a series of promos for the Mixed Match Challenge. It's Becky's birthday uh, on Tuesday, and Sammy brought her a birthday cake, and they're the Ginger Snaps. Taken on Team Little Big. Team Little Big. Yes. Which saw Strowman laughing at the Ginger Snaps name. And then Alexa saying that they will be snapped in half. And Strowman just looked like the happiest guy in the world. Did you watch? I didn't. Dude. Uh, wait till I, we- I will watch this one because I heard Strowman was hilarious. Like, wait till we get to it because this was okay. awesome. Okay. That's coming up. Way checked out Mixed Match Challenge. Renee interviewed Carmella. She says she just wanted to send a warning to Charlotte. And she had broken a nail anyway. So why, why cash in now? <laughs> Ty Dillinger and Baron Corbin, they went through a break. Corbin ran shoulder first into the post. Then Ty lifted him up for the tiebreaker. Corbin stopped it, hit a choke slam into a backbreaker, and then the end of days for the win. Or as Tom said, no one gets up from the EOD. Mm. That's uh, the newer uh, band, Eatable on Death. Oh, nice. (laughs) Uh, Dillinger, you know, at this point, uh, I, I mean, he's been in on the roster for a a year now. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I feel like there's nowhere else for the man to go as a baby face. So to me, like this, you know, these losses, him being ignored, uh, by Shane McMahon, I feel like it all has to set up a heel turn and hopefully an evolution in this character, because I think the 10 thing is cute, but there's just not been much depth added to it. Rusev did his promo and English sang next to him. And then Rusev looked into the camera and said, Bob rude. Next week is your swan song as United States champion. So that's it next week. Bob versus Rusev. 
Rusev, uh, sorry, Rude, we cut to. And he's got a calendar in front of him that he marks down Rusev Day for next week. And he circles the calendar. And then, using the seven days of the week, he spells out glorious across the week. This was really clever. I thought it was like, that's kind of neat. Yeah. It might have been the best of the selfie promos that we've seen. I was like, this this is... This was like a well-placed pun. So yeah. this was like this was like the cousin of a pun. I feel like the selfie promos work best when there's something visual for them to actually show. Even uh-huh. if in this case it was just some type of visual gag with with him spelling glorious on the calendar. Like I feel like the selfie things work when there's something in the background, like when they're or when they're walking around like a, a very exotic location. Uh, rather than just being in the back. Um, like, I feel like you need a reason to do a selfie versus, uh, you know, getting a, a regular camera in there. So, yeah, I don't know. This continues. Oh. Owens and Zane were in the locker room. They got their own cameraman. Zane says at least one of them's going to get a title opportunity and then says, uh, unless you fail. But then Zane brings up how it was Styles that pinned Owens. Owens then mentions that Zayn was eliminated in the Royal Rumble. And Owens says that Zayn won't fail tonight. Insinuating he will next week. So we were just going from 0 to 10 on this breakup. Chad Gable and Shelton Benjamin versus Brizongo uh, followed this. This we, we got the entrance and then they cut to commercial where the, the screen went dark. And then we returned on the announcers who started promoting 205 Live. And I thought there had been, like, like Sportsnet had lost their feed and this match was just gone. Like, we were just going to, this match didn't even occur or something. But finally, we go back and these guys have just been in the ring this whole time. And then the match begins. The Ascension are watching this backstage. Uh, there was a wheelbarrow into a bulldog by Fandango to Gable. And uh, like most of these matches, it was Gable doing... Most of the work and shining. He's introduced a capo kick now, which he hit the Fandango. Gable then took both him and Fandango over the top to the floor. Benjamin caught Breeze as he was going for this Hurricane Rana, lifted him up as Gable came off the top with a clothesline, and Benjamin uh, pinned Breeze. Quick match. Uh, just a rehab match for Gable and Benjamin. It, and it looks like they're done with the Usos. Um, pretty, like, they didn't even... Yeah, no complaining about about the loss or anything like that. So, which means Gable and Benjamin are kind of done too. Then, like they're just going to be at least in the in the, for the in the title picture heading into Mania. But I, yeah, I mean, it certainly kills their me- momentum as a top team. But I guess they are still being treated like they're strong. Um, who do you think is their next program? Well, that's the thing. It's like coming out of this. I was thinking like the Ascension. Yeah, who else though? Who else is there? New that's day? it. I, like that's the tag team. Um, New Day. They could do something with. Yeah, uh, maybe. I, I I also feel like they're a team that needs some names. You know, Gable and Benjamin. That, is, that finish has nothing. No, like the, the 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 chaos theory has no name. Him them like that heart attack type of thing that they're doing has yeah. no name. It's like I want to remember these guys. I want to remember their moves. But and sometimes that that's on the guys, like to just go mm-hmm. to the announcers and say, this is what it's called. Call yeah. it that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Main event, AJ Styles and Shinsuke Nakamura against Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. 
Nakamura did his deal where he put Zayn up against the ropes and leaned his head on his chest, and Owen started yelling, don't do that stupid (laughs) thing. (laughs) Graves said that he has been waiting for Styles and Nakamura in the WWE since before they were even here, which means that Corey Graves, for three weeks after Wrestle Kingdom, so badly wanted to see this match in the WWE. Because when these guys were signed, it was like right after their match. Mm -hmm. So it's hard for Corey to be having this deep desire for this match, though he did qualify and say in the WWE. So maybe he saw that Tokyo Dome match and thought, you know what? This would be even better if it was in Des Moines, Iowa. (laughs) Uh, Phillips also brought up that when AJ went to Japan, Nakamura was dominating Japan when it was really AJ who came in and unseated Okada as the champion and really had, I mean, Nakamura was kind of running the IC title, but that's our, that's the story now. Shinsuke was the king of Japan and then AJ came and took his crown from him. Yeah. It's, 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 it's interesting to, to like see how the WWE have kind of like turned (laughs) this, this term Japan into that's, that's the name of the promotion. Yeah. It's just Japan. But, like, they've turned Japan into kind of this, like, nether realm that, where, like, all these previous things had occurred. Like, your wildest imagination. It was crazy. People were were hanging out and eating uh, sushi. It was nuts. It, it's like Camp WWE. Yeah. It's just kind of like... it's just Japan. Like, yeah, it's just, like, interesting to kind of think of them, uh, like, they've now fabricated this... this japan thing as sort of like uh, the place where all that other stuff happened <laughs> so owens and zane got the advantage on nakamura then zane got sent to the floor and owens gets upset that he's not in the corner and zane is not hurrying to return so they start arguing and zane leaves and he says see how well you do without your guardian angel after you talk to me like that and he goes up the ramp. They come back from break. And Zane's just standing there at the entrance watching Owens fighting by himself. And then he reluctantly returns to the corner to help Owens. But then they have another big blow up. And Zane leaves a second time. Styles tags in Nakamura. He sets up for the Kinshasa. Owens rolls to the floor. But Styles sends him back. And Nakamura hits the Kinshasa, pinning Owens. And uh, this kind of sets up next week's main event with the idea that Owens and Zane are... At each other's th- uh, throat. I thought, I mean, again, Zane and Owens steal the show. Their um, acting, I think, is great. Their improvising and their chemistry together is just so entertaining to watch. Um, just even like their their off mic antics, yelling at each other, uh, I think, is just so so fun to watch. And I thought they they both kind of escalated that rivalry like really quickly on the show maybe a little too quickly but i i'm sure that was under direction uh because they have a match to get to next week so um i thought they both did a tremendous job and then renee interviewed zane backstage he says their friends renee asks is the friendship over and he says no owen is owens has had his opportunities he's won titles now it's his chance and he'll be the guy that is known as the person that beat Owens and then beat Styles, and he will be WWE champion. It's an attempt to for him to be taken seriously and not just be Kevin Owens' sidekick. So, yeah. 
That was SmackDown. Yeah, what did you think? Uh, I think it had... Uh, I, I thought a better edition of SmackDown than has been the typical SmackDown of late. I've been kind of down on SmackDown, and I don't know what it is necessarily, but I, I honestly feel the loss of talking smack has really impacted my enjoyment in a lot of these characters on SmackDown. I think that was such a great tool to get so many of these... It was their version of being the elite in a weird way. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Um, it gave context to a lot of just like like a lot of just one-note characters. They were able to be fleshed out on that show. They were able to make sense of a lot. Like could you have imagined the last month of Brian and Shane on Talking Smack furthering their feud? And I think it's really hurt this show for me uh, because they try to get so many people on this show that it, it's very hard to flesh out these characters beyond your kind of core, I would say, four guys. Like Randy Orton tonight. No room for that guy. Um, so that's what you run into every week with this show. But at least now you've got a an A-line story for WrestleMania that is the Styles Nakamura one. You have an interesting deal right now with Owens and Zayn. I still think you have the Brian and Shane thing uh, on the back burner. I like the Usos promo. Uh, even the women's stuff with uh, Charlotte and Carmella, that was a good spot as well. So overall, I like this show. Yeah, I thought it was kind of a, another uh, good standard SmackDown. Um, it carried a lot of things around uh, on forward. Um, as far as like matches, um, I don't know. Maybe that's been what's kind of disappointing in SmackDown is maybe the lack of like that really stellar match. I thought the main event... Actually, the main event last week was really good. Uh, this week it was it was fine. It was there was fine. nothing stellar on this show. More the best so for sh- storytelling. Best match of the night was on two hundred five live, without a doubt. And I'll tell you what the maybe the second best match of the night was, in my opinion. Okay, well, take us into mixed match challenge, which um, immediately followed SmackDown here in Philadelphia. Yes, and for this week, the third week of the mixed match challenge on Facebook Watch, we had the team of the Ginger Snaps. This was interesting because Sami Zayn did the angle, stepped into the back, and then had to step right back out for this because he was right. He was teaming with Becky Lynch to take on Team Little Big, which is uh, Braun Strowman and Alexa Bliss. Um, So yeah, like Zayn did the angle, had to step back out. Um, This time he he like he wore his hat and his his, and his uh, hoodie back on. and I wonder why. <laughs> I like it. It almost makes me feel like they want to have these feel completely separate from the body of the show, because there's no real mention of like Zayn just getting you know having just wrestled in in the match prior. Although I feel like it would have been really nice to have like Zayn be the one to have to wrestle the rest of that match and have Owens right. be the guy in the back. So Zayn gets beaten up, and then on top of all that, now he has to face Braun Strowman. Uh, I think it would have added to it, but it, it seems like they want to make these standalone. Uh, anyway, so Ginger Snaps take on Team Little Big. It's a fan vote to see who gets to start the match. <laughs> the fans choose Becky, of course. Uh, they kind of like sway it because like they only let you choose between like one of the teams. So of course, all the fans are going to choose the baby face. And so you have Becky starting with Alexa. Um, the dynamics are kind of fun to watch within the teams themselves because like. Becky comes up to Sammy's theme, and Becky is all enthusiastic. She wants to dance to the, to the song, but Sammy is the one who's reluctant, doesn't want to like 
he's grumpy. He doesn't like it. So um, most of this match is just Becky and Alexa because the idea is that Zayn and Braun is such a mismatch that the moment Braun tags in, the match is basically over. So Zayn is doing everything he can to avoid tagging in, and Alexa and Becky take the bulk of it. Alexa and Braun, I mean, they're an excellent pair. Like, they play total baby faces here. And this was a Braun Strowman that was showing off a lot more humor. Like, they do a thing on their entrance where Bliss has to, like, like... Uh, like like Diesel Diesel and Sean used to do. Like D- Diesel would would hold his hand high up, and then Sean would have to would have to jump to high five him. Um, they replayed the skit from Facebook where Braun was teaching Alexa how to flip a car. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that or not. It was very funny. Like the team, I think like it visually works together, and also like comedically, um, Braun is like actually a really funny guy. So it almost feels like. You know, like like a little girl and her giant dog that protects her, or like you know, like the Iron Giant and and that and that little kid from that Disney movie. So they're great. It's Becky Lynch's birthday, so the fans start singing "Happy Birthday." Mm-hmm. Um, Becky showing off a lot of chain wrestling, working around Alexa. Uh, the fans kind of get impatient with the women wrestling, so they start chanting Strowman, and then Zane chants back, "You're never gonna get him." There's a small get these hands chant. And it, I guess it tells you that 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 it's a catchphrase that's already connected. They they're selling a shirt for that, by the way. Yeah. So Zayn is running away from Braun like throughout the match. Uh, he gets chased around the ring. Braun finally gets his hands on him, but Zayn slips and then tags Becky immediately. So Braun this time turns his back to go back to the corner, but Zayn runs back in and cheap shots Braun from behind. Uh, Braun no sells it and just clubs Zayn to the floor. Now it's the women wrestling again. Becky is selling. It's funny because like Becky is selling, reaching for the hot tag, and there's Sami Zayn in the corner pretending to reach for the hot tag, but he keeps switching sides around the post to to actually get away. And Becky's too far, and Zayn is just like, "Oh, that's too bad. Oh, you're too far. Oh, that's too bad." <laughs> it's it's funny to to, to watch it act. Becky finally makes the tag, and Zayn at this point is like, "Oh shit!" Like he's reluctant to get in. Braun comes in, destroys Sammy, very comedic selling on the outside. Braun military presses Zane uh, over the barricade into the crowd. Um, Braun runs back in, almost trips. He tags Alexa. And for the finish, Alexa stands on Braun Strowman's shoulder. And she does the twisted bliss off of Braun's shoulder. And uh, they win. But, um, you know, again, uh, a really fun match. Uh, told a, a fun story of Zayn just doing everything he can to avoid getting tagged in. I thought they played with the mixed match dynamic pretty well. Um, it felt like everybody kind of had a defined character. I thought Zayn was hilarious as the chicken shit heel. I thought Becky was great as well. And I thought the finish was spectacular. So after the match, there's a post-match promo. Uh, I believe, I think it was Renee uh, doing the interviewing. And then... Um, Alexa claims that they won because of her strategy. Uh, I I think it was Charlie or Renee, one of the two. And then the interviewer asked Braun, hey, Braun, is this true? And then Braun says, Alexa's a lot smaller than I am, but her personality is as big as me. And then Braun continues to say (laughs) that the two of them 
get along professionally. And if Braun can say so himself, personally as well. Braun goes on to say that he finds Alexa kind of (laughs) cute. And at this point, the crowd chants, get these hands again. Oh, man. Um, So now Alexa... (laughs) Is is look making eyes at Braun, and Alexa says, "I think you're kind of cute too." And then the crowd is just like, "Oh!" And then Alexa says, "Let me just say, Braun, we're going all the way." <laughs> and then Braun Strowman <laughs> like gets this massive close up, like w- like on camera, like, "Wow, really?" And then Alexa says, "We're going all the way to victory in the mixed match challenge." And the crowd starts chanting all the way. And That's funny. It, just like a total kind of baby face, you know, uh, pairing here and a completely different side of a Braun Strowman that I actually find very entertaining. Uh, I was really impressed by the chemistry from the team. And I am, I mean, I feel like these two even have tremendous potential as an act on the main roster, but you know, we'll see if they make that transition ever, but they, they're, they're my, they, they are by far the standout pairing of, of, uh, the, the six teams that have, uh, debuted so far. I think this is evidence that they don't look at this as any part of their regular programming at all. It's it's as we've said, like this is pretty much a house show. And there are are there kids TV show and I have no problem yeah. with that. I think like if you want to branch out to like even like tonally different products um across Facebook or even like something like a 205 live or an NXT, I love for like your current rosters to go to these playgrounds to kind of play different sides of their character. It, it gives me a reason to watch other than, you know, seeing the same thing that, that I would normally see on a Monday. Well, the, the live viewership for this tonight, week one, we had a peak of 136,000 viewers that dropped to 91,000 last week. And then tonight's was 62,300. So, This is rapidly declining Mm -hmm. in interest week after week. Now, granted, that number, people can go back during the week and and watch it on on Facebook. But for the live viewership, I mean, this is that's when you would think a lot of people like you're being sent there right after SmackDown, where you've got 2.4 million people that you're directing to Facebook to watch this. So, um, I mean, it's losing interest week after week for a live perspective. Yeah, it's hardly appointment viewing, and most weeks I would say it's not worth watching at all, but this one was very entertaining if you decide to invest your time. 205 Live followed that, and this was actually a noteworthy edition of the show because you had the general manager announcement, which started with Daniel Bryan coming out alongside Drake Maverick, the former rock star spud. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, they didn't even, like, give him, like, an entrance or a titantron. It was just Brian's out there, and next to him is this guy. Here's Here he is. He's all yours. Yeah. And it was also Spud's birthday oh, on is that right? Tuesday. Yes. Well, he turned 35 years old. What so birthday. Listen, I, I think Drake Maverick is certainly a better name than Spud. Okay? Yeah, it's... uh. Spud's yeah, a terrible a, name, especially Spud's, for a GM. Well, I, I it goes with any name. I think you just, like, in three weeks, you're just going to associate Drake Maverick with this guy. I mean, it's... Uh, I already do. Name is a name. 
He thanks everyone for this chance, says we need a new Cruiserweight champion, and he announces a 16-man single elimination tournament that will culminate at WrestleMania, which I will imagine is earmarked for that opening match when half to three-quarters of the stadium is empty. Uh, I would say that's very likely. Now, um, we don't know who's going to be in the tournament yet, but, I mean, who could you see them putting in that slot? It would have to be two relatively notable names, don't you think? Yeah, it's kind of hard when they haven't really shown you the brackets or anything. Um, Personally, I was hoping that they would continue here with with Tyler Bate. I just Mm -hmm. think that guy's incredible. Um, And it looks like you're going to have a big mix of just 205 guys and uh, talent from NXT and probably from the UK show. Like, I, it wouldn't surprise me if Pete Dunne, even though he is holding a title, ends up in this thing as well. Like, I think they want to spice things up with some some new blood, and I think mm-hmm. that could that could help this tournament a lot. Like, Roderick Strong against Hideo Itami next week mm-hmm. is immediately something of interest for 205 Live. Definitely. The, yeah. the biggest issue will be... I mean, these super hot matches that you're going to try and get across in this dead environment, which is what 205 Live will be. Um, mm. And that's going to be the biggest issue to, for, for this talent. Like, the issue has never been who you've got on your roster. It's just the, the presentation. But, I mean, week one, you got uh, one good match and one really great match. Certainly. Like, this far out, like, if, if, if somebody like a Pete Dunn will enter this tournament, I mean, I'd love to see that guy... Uh, even if it was a kickoff at a WrestleMania, you know, I think that's a spot that's prime for somebody like him. Because, uh, I mean, I guess they could do a Tommy, but like, I certainly don't see TJP being in that spot. I don't even see Cedric being in that spot. Looking uh, at this, sorry to cut you yeah. off, but just looking at if if your goal is to really reinvigorate 205 Live using this tournament, would you rather the the finals take place at WrestleMania, where we imagine it'll be on the kickoff, or the finals take place at TakeOver the night before? More people are going to... Mm, actually, that's a tough one to say. Like, that that match, whatever the match is, and there's clearly going to be NXT performers in this, so you do have that connection. Yeah. They will tear the house down at TakeOver. I have no doubt mm-hmm. any of the... Like, imagine this TJP-Tyler Bate match had it happened on Saturday night. I completely agree with you. It'd be totally different. Um, I suppose uh, it's about the the prestige of saying that you won the belt at WrestleMania or you're doing the match at WrestleMania. Mm. But but in terms of, I, pre- I think that's overrated. Mm. Well, in terms of promotion, I mean, I think them saying the finals are going to take place at Takeover, it doesn't sound as 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 cool. But certainly, in terms of like a quality crowd, I feel like you'll you'd get a much better reaction at full sale or, or even uh, the arena that they'll run the night before. That's true. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they should do it. But um, your thoughts on a uh, Drake Maverick, just even in, the, in this little bit, he was fine. I mean, he didn't, he wasn't given a whole lot on the show, but did a fine opening promo showed like a lot of personality immediately. Uh, good promo. Like, I, I think he'll do really well in this role. We know the range this guy has. He can do mm-hmm. he can do comedy. He can do the serious promo as well. He can do angry. And he can wrestle. So there's tons you can do with this guy. Yeah, I thought he was awesome. I mean, I think especially for this role, like the moment I saw him and heard him speak, I thought he was perfect for it. 
I think like having the accent or already kind of makes him like a, a figure of authority, like that much more easier. Uh, the fact that he looks good in a suit helps. The fact that he's actually smaller than a lot of, a lot of the performers he's going to have to boss around kind of helps too. Uh, he doesn't overshadow other people uh, that he's talking to. And I think the fact that he's a tremendous talker is really the main thing. And I mean, I can envision him doing a lot more for the company even after 205 Live. I would love to see a segment where uh, they're doing the NXT tapings this week. If they did one segment with Drake Maverick knocking on the door of William Regal to talk about a uh, talent swap for this tournament and just to see Regal and Rockstar Spud play off one another. I think, be they'd cool. be, I think they'd be great together. Yeah, certainly. Have a working relationship. Mm-hmm. And there should be more back and forth, I think, with the NXT guys and 205 Live. I think it's just, it's some, you can just get some new people in there. It reinvigorates kind of the, the standard guys we've seen that will help them. I think TJP had one of his best matches in, in months here. The, the, uh, on this problem, show. the problem is, though, you know, like, how many of these guys, like a Roderick Strong, do you want on 205 Live? Because 205 Live, unfortunately, is sort of like, it's sort of like a scarlet letter at this point, you know? Like, you don't, nobody wants that stench of, 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 of being on 205 Live, especially losing on the 205 Live, although I don't really think it hurt Tyler Bate at all on this episode. But how many like do you for instance do you see them putting uh I don't Adam Cole on in this tournament because I don't I don't think that'll happen um like what's the level of talent that you're willing to quote unquote sacrifice for this tournament Well I don't think they're looking at it as sacrifice and I think they're looking at it that they're trying to get 205 Live into something more viable something that's closer in proximity to what NXT is so I don't. I don't know. I don't know if they'd throw a, a, an Adam Cole into something like this. I mean, they already do have quite a few cruiserweights on this show to make up your 16. And I think you can just sprinkle in a few extras as well um, mm. for it. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like it, this to me as well, like this was a better crowd than usual for 205 Live. But I mean, we're going to be right back where we started, where the atmosphere is a big killer. I, I think even if they did this, they tape the show before SmackDown. I think it would do them a lot of good to oh, have a completely. crowd that is just fresh. Like, I don't care. About, if the only reason we're doing this is because of the name of the show, that's not a reason to do this uh, live. Is I that, mean, it's. Is that the only reason? Or, or is there a thing where, like, they don't want to, like, exhaust the crowd with, like, these types of matches before SmackDown? Well, I mean, it's you're exhausting them with the matches after SmackDown too. So it's like no, what's, but I mean, exhausting them before SmackDown, which is, I guess, kind of your the show that you want, you know, your best crowd for. I, I don't think you're going to get super hot crowd before either. It's not like when they tape main event before Raw that those are just these heated matches either. I mean, True. it's I, I just think it's better than after the two hour show. I think you just get a little more enthusiasm, mm-hmm. although you probably have a late arriving crowd too. I mean, it's not. It's not a great scenario having this show uh, coupled mm. on a taping. So uh, that's kind of what they're dealing with. But we've we've seen this for over a year now that this this time slot has hurt it it's, it's rather awful. than helped it. Yeah. Cedric Alexander took on Grand Metalik in the first of two tournament matches on this show. Alexander got totally screwed here, winning this month-long tournament 
and was ready to have his championship match. And now he's got to go through this entire 16-man tournament. And the earliest he's looking at a title shot is in two months. Yeah, that's shitty. The guy should, like, he he should get a buy. It's like, like into the second round or something. This poor guy should have protested. Just cut a promo. He's just happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Metalik is with uh, Lindsay Dorado and Kalisto. And Drake Maverick walks in and tells Grand Metalik, show them it's your time. So the match begins. Metalik hit a springboard into a somersault dive. And I heard the strangest sound from the crowd. First of all, it was audible. That was crazy enough. They were chanting 205. I know. The first time ever. That's a new one. Uh, Metalik did a springboard hurricane rana to Alexander off the top rope. Then Metalik countered the lumbar check into a DDT. And then Cedric got his knees, uh, his feet up on a moonsault attempt and hit the lumbar check to win this match in 926. I thought the match was good, but I feel like you've seen way better from both men. And I think like as the first match of this revamped 205 Live, I think this match needed to be excellent, and it didn't reach that level for me. Jack Gallagher cut a promo literally just referring to himself as a gentleman who will win this tournament, and that was it. Drake uh, explains to one of the PAs backstage uh, what he just said in his promo about what the tournament is. Drew Gulak walked in with roses and says how many of the people here are craving law and order, and he's eager to see the changes that Maverick is going to make for a better 205 Live, and then uh, Maverick just handed the roses over to the PA. I'm having a very hard time referring to this guy as Drake Maverick. I'm going to have to make this transition. It's such a fake name. (laughs) It's it's just like it's... uh, It's like the type of name you would choose for yourself if you like really think of yourself as like a James Bond like it's like max power you know like what's the coolest name i could come up with i'm gonna be drake maverick mustafa ali does a sit down in the back and he talks about his match last week with cedric tearing down the house but then he lost but it's okay because he needed that wake-up call for this tournament he's going to steal the show and punch his ticket to wrestlemania and i was Watching this, and I was like, this could be a really terrible promo, but there was a certain likability, I think, with Mustafa Ali that he actually kind of made this work. No doubt. I mean, first of all, this was the lone non-selfie promo uh, that that they did with the guy by himself. Like, he actually sat down in a room, professionally lit with a backdrop and a camera, and it was done kind of like in your reality TV testimonial style. Uh I thought it looked way better. It felt like it belonged on this professional show, but it still felt intimate. So to me, this would be like a great alternative to their selfie mode promos. Um, I think like, I mean, Ali received a great reaction just like on appearance from uh, a, a vocal minority of this crowd. But I do love how like he and the show itself is making a big deal out of the, the match he had with Cedric last week because it really was a, a very good sleeper match. And I think it would be a shame if it was forgotten. So, um, like, I think Ali's awesome. Like, I think he's definitely, like, underrated and probably forgotten. Um, I would like to see him make it pretty far into this uh, tournament just so he can gain, gain some value out of it. Then that promo ended. And on the screen was Dasha holding a microphone 
next to TJP. Oh. And I sat back, my eyes just widened, light shone from my outside window and just lit up. I was so happy. And Dasha introduced her guest at this time, TJP. <clears throat> oh my God. <laughs> and he corrects her. The first cruiserweight champion. <laughs> he reminds us that he won the first CWC. And then Maverick walks in. And he says that that was a long time ago. And he wants to know which TJP will show up tonight. The one that won the Cruiserweight Classic or the one that whines and complains when he doesn't get his way. I was hoping for the latter. But nonetheless, not a... Not a big TJP week in terms of speaking, which is all I'm tuning in for him for. He actually did have quite the match, but nonetheless, he did get promo time. I was disappointed he wasn't the GM. I'm not going to lie. I just, I think you're going to have to meet TJP one day, John, whether it be for an interview or something. And this man's going to want to beat the shit out of you. <laughs> uh if he tries, I'll just put up my finger. Oh my goodness. <laughs> He's fine. He's totally fine. Oh, uh, come I, on. I, I don't want to ruin the magic. I think you do a great job of 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 recapping these segments. We go to Akira Tozawa, who is disappointed that he wasn't named the general manager. And now he can win the title at WrestleMania, and then he looks at this production guy and says, You're fired. The yeah. way this guy shoots his his selfie promos, he goes for like the high angle, the high angle. So you think this guy is like literally a foot off the ground, <laughs> like he's just this little man wandering around backstage. He's he does it that way because he needs to show his Vince strut, <laughs> which wow. I think is a funny running gag. Because I thought I thought his Vince impression was not that great, but like very funny as a result. TJP and Tyler Bate was our final match of the show. Started off with a surfboard that TJP applied and then Bate reversed to put pressure on the shoulders. Then TJP starts attacking the left leg of Tyler Bate and he works it over and Bate comes back with a German suplex, but he's favoring his knee after hitting it. So TJP goes after him with these leg kicks. He then runs into TJP is caught and thrown and then Bate does a kip up. Landing on the knee, which is probably not the wisest thing to do if your knee is about to buckle on you doing a kip-up. But he said, screw it, and hit a standing shooting star press, again well, favoring the knee. What I love is that, like, I mean, you had Nigel pointing this out the entire time. Nigel was great during yeah, this match. But, like, but Nigel's explanation was that kid's 20, you know? <laughs> when you're 20 years old, that's part of the uh, advantage. You can get away with all this stuff. He's dumb. Uh, TJP and that your, your body's incredibly resilient. Yeah. TJP then applies a heel hook and bait makes it to the rope. Then bait bounces off the top rope, kills him with this lariat follows with the airplane spin, which the announcers are pointing out. Is this the smartest thing to be doing? But then he goes for the, the Tyler driver and it gets countered into a knee bar. Bait goes into a roll up for a two count. Then he climbs to the top, misses with this corkscrew splash and back to the knee bar goes TJP. Again, bait rolls and gets the rope break. And he goes for the Tyler driver, but TJP grabs onto the counter and rolls him up, 
grabbing the trunks and pins Tyler Bate in 14 minutes and 32 seconds. Uh, this was outstanding. I thought this was a really good match. If the only thing I'm going to say is that, again, maybe it was just such an influential match over the weekend, but man, the Minoru Suzuki Hiroshi Tanahashi template, I feel like many people saw that match, but that to me did not uh, hurt this. I thought this was a great match. And I mean, it's hardly anything new, though. You know, it's just a body part. No, but it was just like it was the same, like right down to the knee bar as the submission of choice and the constant just fighting for the rope break. But this was really strong. I, I like this a lot. Yeah, I thought this match was excellent. And I think like I'm 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 kind of disappointed that Tyler Bate wasn't moving on because I feel like he's somebody who you can put the whole show around. Like put it put him in that Enzo or Neville role. And I feel like he somebody like him brings like a fresh style to the division. It makes it'll he'll make everybody's matches better. Um and I think he has the personality for it to boot. So the fact that he wasn't moving on, I was disappointed, but I mean, I feel like that's because they have better, bigger plans for him than simply having him be uh, the you know champion on 205 Live. That's my hope, at least. I hope because it looks like it's criminal that this guy is not a major star at this point because he has no plans at the moment. I know. He's just like this weird guy that he's like out doing indies. Him and Dunn. So, like it's crazy that uh, there's yeah. not a role for this guy and a prominent one. My, uh, maybe, perhaps, like there's still something going on with this like UK TV deal that we don't know about that they're saving him for. I don't know, but at the very least, like guys like him and Dunn should be prominent names on NXT by now, if not the main roster. I mean, like they won best match uh, according to their NXT uh, whatever awards, but there's still like. I don't think they maximize the value from that incredible match that they had. Like you promote promote that match on the main roster and these guys and let them let these two wrestle on the main roster and I feel like that, that they'll they'll get themselves over very easily. But anyway, Tyler Bate is fantastic. A, a stat here that like really kind of uh, struck me was when Nigel said TJP had his first match when Tyler Bate was born. Wow. Like 1997. That's an insane insane statistic uh, for two reasons. One, because TJP is not old at all. So it tells you how early TJP started wrestling, which was, uh, I believe, like the age of 13 or something. And the guy's only 33 years old. He's younger than us. Yeah. And and it also tells you how young Tyler Bate is. So, like, (laughs) you have a guy here uh, in TJP who's younger than us. Uh, wrestling lo- as long or longer than ha- however long Tyler Bates been alive, which is insane to me. But uh, yeah, great match. Really strong start for this uh, new edition of 205 Live. So that was, uh, yeah, pretty pretty good 205 Live. And I've got to say, one of the best things to happen to this show is the Mixed Match Challenge. This is a way better show with just two matches, and it's done in 35 minutes. Mm-hmm. And next week, like you mentioned, they're doing uh, Roderick Strong versus Hideo Itami and uh, Lince Dorado versus Kalisto. Yeah. So, I mean, that Hideo Itami-Roderick Strong match should be really something. And and you're like, you're telling me that there's only going to be two matches, which like I'm totally on board for. Two solid matches that I'm looking forward to. 
Uh, that's not nearly as daunting of a task as spending an hour watching a bunch of matches with no ramifications of guys that I've seen combinations of uh, for, for a whole year. So I, I'm liking this new 205.11. I'll watch next week. All right. Uh, what do we want to go to next? Uh, let's talk about the uh, 24. I can't okay. believe we still have that, man. So this is covering WrestleMania from last year in Orlando, Florida. And we kind of just took snapshots of kind of the key uh, programs that were going on, following people around. And the early focus of the documentary was on Naomi. And if you remember at this time, this was when she won the title at the Elimination Chamber show. And then during the match, injured her knee. She strained her MCL and had to vacate the title. So it was touch and go if she get to work mania in her hometown. And she found out during WrestleMania week that she was able to compete. Yeah, it was a very kind of like at the time when watching it all unfold, it, it felt like really strange how they would take the belt off of her. And then I think we soon realized that it was a legitimate injury. But I think we also all felt like they were just taking it away so that they could give her the belts at mania. So, uh, I mean, seeing this, I, I do believe that it was probably a legitimate in- injury. Oh, it definitely was. Yeah. But at the time, like it felt almost too perfect. You know what I mean? Like you gave the belt to her early. Now you take it away only to crown her in her hometown. Um, I, anyway, I, it, it made for a, a really nice backstory. And I think as far as a homecoming goes, you couldn't have asked for a better one for uh this for naomi i literally had no memory during this documentary if she won that match or not so when she won the title i was like well what a nice story at the end of this she won the Mm -hmm. title back like i had no memory of her winning this title the year before Mm -hmm. then we got to see two robots have a conversation with one another (laughs) kurt angle and john cena kurt said i'm just glad you're inducting me man and John just nodded. And then he met up with Nikki. And Nikki asked Cena <laughs> about his speech with Kurt. And John's description was, oh, it's short and to the point. <laughs> what are they supposed to say, John? I don't know. But th- this was like just ultra John Cena robotic mode. Um, anyway, they showed some highlights of the Hall of Fame with the whole crowd chanting for The Miz. And... Cena introducing Kurt Angle as the best overall performer ever. And then backstage, they interviewed Kurt. Hold on a second. What does that mean? He said the best overall performer. Okay. So, so Sean in WWE lore, Shawn Michaels is the best in ring performer. Yeah, I guess so. And, and, and is Hulk Hogan something? Maybe they consider rock the greatest entertainer, but Kurt, what about flair flair something too. He's the best. I don't know what his marketing tag the best. is. Ah, okay. And Undertaker. Well, do you want to know what Cena's is? Yeah. Acor- sure. According to Kurt Angle. Okay. Quote, I consider Cena the greatest WWE superstar ever. Well, he, he can have that. Yes. Uh, Miz talked about all the negativity that they received when it leaked what the the match was going to be with Miz and Maurice against Cena and Nikki Bella, which was very legitimate. When Mm -hmm. When the card was out, that was the match that was heavily scrutinized. 
uh, when it was oh, first made. Um, I, I couldn't believe it when I heard about it. Yeah. It was, yeah, like it totally just jumped out at you of like, what a waste of Cena. That's what, mm-hmm. that was the thought. And they explained that they started building it up with their promos. And Marie said that when it's real, it works. And we just had fun with it. And uh, they just kind of talked about the uh, the evolution of that program. We got a random walk by of Heath Slater, who just informed us, it's WrestleMania, baby. Seeing them walk into the uh, uh, stadium just kind of reminded me of like our terrible trek into oh, the camping ground. What is I it? Know. Camping World Stadium? Oh, God. Uh, uh, listen, that terrible. set was beautiful. I even like the arena. But man, everything surrounding it, ugh, it was. It I, was I, I don't have I don't have fond memories of that place at all. That was oh. that was not an enjoyable evening of pro wrestling. Alexa Bliss was at her first WrestleMania uh, back in 2014, where she was part of Hunter's entrance along with Charlotte and Sasha, and now she's wrestling on her first WrestleMania. They also showed kind of this shot of like two like. Fans in Big Cass and Kevin Owens comparing where they sat at WrestleMania 24 in 2008, where Owens noted he was at the show with Sami Zayn. What? What? Uh, do you know like where, what Owens was doing at the time, like in terms of a career? Was he in ROH? Yeah, he was in ROH at that point. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, Big Show reflecting on his match with Floyd that night, and then he says. Uh, Tonight, I get to open the show, and then I get to relax. So that's a... We'll get to relax a lot more. Transition. Year. And Charlotte then was went to the seat where she sat in the front row for her father's retirement at that show in 2008 as well. Pretty cool. And, Pretty cool to, to like... Yeah. See yeah, all tying everything together. They yeah. also showed, like, the fact that she redid Rick's entrance for her own mm-hmm. that year at WrestleMania. I, I didn't even realize. Uh, the Undertaker, who I thought you could have done the whole documentary on The Undertaker and it would have been fascinating. Mm-hmm. We're in the car with him on the way to the arena. And he's just saying that the saying goes that fighters can grow old in one fight. And hopefully this isn't that fight. And he just talks about the numerous injuries he has to work around. And his biggest issue is being physically prepared and just trying to do as much as he possibly can and not wanting to become a parody of himself. Like, this was really captivating stuff, I thought, with The Undertaker in this. It was. It was like a great, like, goodbye for The Undertaker. And it <laughs> kind made of. you not, Ugh, like, it made I me know. not want to see him come back. Well, this. especially because, you know, the fact was, physically, like, he just was not up to it closing a, WrestleMania. Like, it was not a great match at, to me, by any bad, stretch. It was clearly a bad match. But, uh, anyway, the circumstances surrounding it were different. Mm, yeah. Uh, then we we went to Nikki Bella, and she explained like her own injury. Like her, both her and Naomi were like going into WrestleMania week not aware if they'd even be working the show because when she did the th- the spot on TV where Tyler Breeze was dressed up as her, she speared him and nearly herniated one of the discs that she had um, her surgery with, and she had to go to her surgeon, and she wasn't cleared until the Wednesday going into WrestleMania week. Uh, so ends up getting to work the match. But then Nikki mentions all the speculation that John Cena is going to propose to her on Sunday. And 
This even included a reporter asking Cena about whether he's going to do it, and he just laughed it off and said, next question. It's pretty crazy, like... (laughs) It's pretty crazy being a pro wrestler, and it's pretty crazy being John Cena, first of all. But to have such a significant moment of your life be a point of speculation for, um, I guess, journalists... um, that has to be such a weird trip. And that's why, like, I almost didn't even believe it when I first heard the rumors that, oh, this guy's going to propose at WrestleMania. How is anybody possibly going to keep this a secret long enough for him to, to be able to do this? It's going to be the most expected proposal ever. But, like, when you look at Nikki's reaction here and also on, like, Total Bellas, like, you really get the sense that this, like, she was trying to tell herself that, no, I'm I'm only setting up myself for disappointment, so I'm not going to believe in this. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm. I, oh, you I'm, think she's working us here? I I think that there was a lot of work involved in all no, of this. I, don't, uh, I, don't. I I think she's John. She's not that good good of an actress. Okay, but be, beyond uh, Nikki, I think the idea that was presented here that the only person that knew was Vince McMahon is. Oh just, my God! Come the on, the world the world knew. Like yeah, everybody knew. in that stadium knew what was happening. Of course, and. I guarantee you every single person working on this show was aware of what was happening here. So it's just, I don't know. It's just, I completely agree with you, but I'm just, I'm just telling you Nikki herself like seemed to de- delude herself from, e- from believing it. Cause like she had a genuine look of like, I want, I don't want to say shock, but like she looked like a little girl there, you know, like, like her, her, her emotions were completely genuine. We also got to watch, Seth Rollins choreographing his entrance where he walks out onto the stage shirtless with this torch. Mm -hmm. This had to be the most boring WrestleMania entrance. I mean, it wasn't walking on sperm. That's true. That's true. It was kind of cool. Like he, the torch touched down and then like the ramp lit up. Yeah. I don't no. know. It wasn't. A, it wasn't a memorable entrance to me. Um, I just don't kinda, even know how you saw it. You're like, well, you're like on your on a like behind the bleachers. I I didn't know how I saw any of this show. To be honest, that night. Uh, then we shift over to Roman Reigns, who talks about how big of a match this is with the Undertaker and the possibility that it might be his last match. Um, they showed Rob Gronkowski his involvement. Um. There was a line by AJ Styles uh, announcing to everyone, sorry, guys, I'm going to steal the show. And I think he did. I agree. Yeah. I think like who would have thought him and Shane ended up probably being the match of the show that Mm -hmm. year. Uh, And then we got, I I thought the Undertaker stuff was super compelling. And then the other, the second best stuff was all this uh, involving the Hardys Mm -hmm. where they're showing sneaking into the trailer and, it's Mark Carano that's ushering them in, who I swear is a distant relative of Jeremy Borash. Do you not see that? Mark Carano? Yes. No. You think they look similar? And he explains what the two are going to be doing. And Jeff, he is so excited. Like, he is just mm-hmm. on top of the world. And when asked what he missed, he said, I miss the crowds. I miss them dearly. Yeah, it was like he was... We're, we get to perform in front of people. 
There are hey. actual human beings in Orlando <laughs> that watch wrestling. Hey, that ROH show had that's true. The night ever. before, the night before, they had a record-setting attendance in ROH. I was talking more about uh, their other home in Orlando <laughs> for years. <laughs> yes, Jeff, people pay to come to watch these shows. So then they continue uh, highlights of the show. Uh, Charlotte recreating the entrance for WrestleMania 24. And Rick watched this with Kurt Angle backstage. And he noted how he got uh, less pyro than Charlotte did. And then the Hardys are shown leaving their trailer for the entrance. And this was super cool. They had the camera on the Hardys in the gorilla position. And then the music hits and this place explodes. Just oh my God. an unbelievable reaction. Like, literally, when you look about uh, back, this was one of the, the greatest like reactions Surprises. to a debut or a return ever. Completely agree. Like, typically, I think you have this type of surprise saved for something like a Raw. Um, rarely at a WrestleMania do you get a big return like this. And they managed to keep it a tremendous secret. Um like mm, they were, it, it was caught like there was definitely oh come on john i'm I'm speaking for the world okay i'm not speaking oh, okay for, for I, you who knows whether or not nikki bell is lying okay but i'm I'm saying like most people weren't sure we weren't mm. sure okay we knew they were doing that barbecue uh uh where were they doing that they did like a pre-party somewhere yeah, yeah. and they said no they said no i'm not aware we're, we're going to columbia we're not going to be there. And they they actually told fans that they were like going back to their room or something like that. Like they mm. they went out of their way to keep this quiet. Which on, on just to quickly mention, did you see what Shane Helms did to hide? He dressed up and like covered his face to travel to the Royal Rumble on Sunday. Oh, I didn't see what what did he wear on his face? Go to, go to his Twitter and he's got a photo of how he was dressed up like in disguise to go through the airport so that no one oh, would see crazy. him. Yeah. He anyway. had to don a secret identity. Yeah. He was literally hurricane. like the old, um, like the Gregory, Gregory Helms. Helms. Yeah. So anyway, um, so yeah, the North Carolina guys, they know how to keep a surprise. Uh, oh, and that's this, so much fun. And this was also, um, they showed Cena and Owens watching the match in the gorilla position and just being dumbfounded at Jeff Hardy's uh, swanton off the ladder as these guys had their second best ladder match of the weekend. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the what he wore. It's crazy. Yeah, it's pretty nuts. Got to respect respecting the art. Can't yeah. fault that. Um, and then afterwards, everyone like the Hardys had just kept everyone in the dark and they're meeting up with all the guys that like big show and they just they couldn't tell them matt called this the coolest moment of his career um so th this was really great that they filmed this and and focused on the hardy's return because it was really well put together and the biggest reaction on the show i thought yeah i love their treatment of the reaction too because they just like they managed to replicate that moment i thought really well like showing you you know from the, the the new day making the announcement to the Hardys like clear like overwhelming anticipation for this uh, backstage to just like the slowed down slow mo reactions of all the grown men who just like like gave these giant wide eyed faces that you you only expect from children that evening it it, it like it brought me ba me back from to that evening 
And we also, uh, it's not mentioned in the documentary, but the pyro that the Hardys got mm-hmm. was red, white, and blue, which was supposed to be reserved for Kurt Angle's Hall of Fame uh, segment for later in the night. Uh, but they made the audible and they gave the pyro to the Hardys. So Kurt got no pyro. Mm-hmm. Welcome home. Uh, Naomi is then shown regaining the title and... This is where she talks about all the support she's gotten from her husband, Jimmy, the couple that way most wants to hang out with. They are the best in the, in the, maybe like if you hang out with them, it'll come with like, uh, cell doors. Every time they talk, it just follows. (laughs) Maybe you should sign up for that contest they're doing on TV where you can win a trip to Orlando with Naomi and Jimmy Uso. Maybe some pizza to go with that. Sure. Uh, so then we go into the Cena, Nikki versus Miz and Maurice match. And this was a really cool moment where Cena goes to the ring and he spots his mom in the front row. And he seems legitimately stunned mm-hmm. because she doesn't follow his career and gets the, gives off the sense that like she really doesn't follow any of this stuff or understand any of the celebrity that her son has. Uh, reached. Maybe, yeah. She seems incredibly just down to earth. Do you think he really didn't know his mom was there? Yeah, I do. I'm uh, always skeptical with Cena because I think he's that good of a. But what's actor. the point? Um, just just for this, just to fuck with people. Like, why would she be there? Because her son was about to propose, but no one knew. Way. Oh come on. Sure. Okay, well, but you're you're unraveling the story now. So it's like if if he's Everybody if, knew, if he lied uh, about the wedding thing, why wouldn't he lie about the mom being there? Like, of course, he invited her. Then, how would she have known that he was going to propose? Because she follows the dirt sheets. She reads the Observer. We learn she doesn't know anything about this wrestling shit. She okay. wishes her son did something more productive with his you. Life. Keep putting on your conspiracy theory hat, and uh, I will try to debunk everything this Friday on our Total Divas. Season finale review. How about oh, that? Okay, great. I can't wait. I haven't watched any of it yet. Uh, anyway, they go through with the whole proposal and the match, and Nikki claims Vince was the only one that knew. And then in the greatest moment, these two, who are legitimately engaged now, are backstage, and Stephanie pops up out of nowhere. What a WrestleMania moment. Which is something that was I great could, branding, guys. Oh God, I could totally see Stephanie using that in just everyday language. What a WrestleMania moment! She's the brand ambassador. Oh God, she's like, she's like a, an episode of Black Mirror. Like there was a chip <laughs> implanted in her, and yeah. this it, this is the the byproduct is, of it. A brand ambassador gone wrong. This is how people in the future speak. What horror! <laughs> Oh, oh God. God! I need I mean, this. I need this chip removed from a local medical facility. Yeah, <laughs> I'd love to like sit in on just that that family dinner, like between her, Linda, who's a small business uh, president. Oh, Shane, I'm serious. Shane's the only person I would want to have a conversation with in that family. Vince would be fun. Vince would be fun, but I feel like it would be for just for stories to have afterwards. And I'd probably just get upset talking to the man, but Shane, I think would be like, 
like everyone has said that that guy is like a super laid back guy and everyone gets along with him that, that has worked jump, with him who loves to jump off of shit loves to jump off of shit um then we got a musical montage for randy orton and bray wyatt that's the only way that could be represented in this documentary as art uh they rush through lesnar goldberg rollins and hunter um I kind of wanted to hear a bit more of Rollins because it was clearly like a big deal for him. The fact that he came back after missing WrestleMania the prior year, there was a really nice moment where Vince thanks him for the match and was just blown away by his performance. And Rollins was clearly moved by this, which was like emotion out of Seth Rollins, which Mm -hmm. is something we never see. And that's something missing with this guy that I think ultimately he doesn't connect as a great heel or a great baby face because the emotion is not there. But it was in this moment. Yeah, just this moment. And it was clear like they didn't necessarily follow his story throughout the process of this uh, documentary because they did the one on him already, right? Yeah, I guess so. Did they so. do a comeback one? Yeah, the 24. Yeah, they, they did a whole thing on him. Leading up to this, though. Uh, not leading into this. This was more just the comeback the, the year prior from the injury. Uh, and then we go into the main event and they show The Undertaker backstage. Dude, he is moving around. Like, this guy needs a brand new hip. He looks like an obvious limp and must have so much wrong with him. Like, this visual was the lasting image of this documentary for me, of him just painfully walking around before the match. Yeah, 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 I know. It's, uh, it kind of, like, I guess it kind of shows you how much, like, the character can hide. Like, really, just the idea, the fact that this is, A middle-aged man. And then, uh, I mean, we don't really have to go through the the match stuff. It's all just a montage. But then it's all about the post-match where Taker's in the ring alone. He's lost the match. And he leaves his jacket and hat in the ring because he's retiring that clothing. And there's shots of grown men crying. They're chanting, thank you, Taker. Because the exit was he walked halfway up the stage probably because there's no way he was doing that trip twice and then just descended underneath the staging area and limps to the back hugs hunter and then says he's content to ride off into the sunset and you can hear the shot goes black and there's clearly a standing ovation from the locker room that they weren't going to show you but it was kind of effective that they just let you hear it but not see it Mm -hmm. and then we ended with sir roosevelt and the bravest. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was good. It was a good compilation of, uh, you know, several moments. Uh, anytime I think you let a camera backstage in a professional wrestling event, I'll never really get sick of it because I think wrestling is still so protective of moments like these, especially with people like the undertaker that you, you really appreciate any morsel of kind of like, uh, any any peek behind the curtain that you're allowed. And uh, yeah, this was kind of a good show to do it. One of these at. Yeah, this was, I, I thought the really interesting stuff was the Undertaker and the Hardys. I found that to be really genuinely interesting stuff. The rest for me kind of fell into the, like the very polished WWE presentation where it's all fine. It's interesting stuff, but it's not to me. Uh, it didn't move me. Whereas the Undertaker no. and Hardy stuff was like really, I thought that was kind of gripping stuff in this. I mean, the nature of this, though, is that it's it's supposed to be a 24-hour period. So it's not really like they have a ton of room to, like, tell you this, you know, very long-lasting story. This, I think, was just more more so like a, 
like a document of that day. All right. Uh, let us go to, oh, first of all, on a scale of one to 10, folks, SmackDown 5.58. So people thought Raw was the better show this week. Laura from Vancouver, a nothing SmackDown. It dawned on me today that Owens is the off-season main eventer. The guy they trust to carry a brand for months and then shove down the card come Mania season. I hope the end game of the Shane Bryan story isn't just a fast-tracked Owens and Zayn split and a Mania match between the two. Owens and Zayn still have so much more to offer as a duo. The mixed match challenge was the highlight of the night. Braun and Bliss have excellent natural chemistry, and that twisted Bliss off of Braun's shoulders was incredible. The post-match promo was great as well. I'd love to see these two together down the road on the main show. We go to Terry from Orlando. I'm interested to see what 205 Live does moving forward. Two interesting matches to start the tournament off with as well. I'm also curious to see the full bracket. Do you know if Swan will be back anytime soon since the charges were dropped? I asked WWE when the charges were dismissed, and I haven't gotten a response, and they it doesn't look like they have st- made a decision yet, or at least have not commented publicly, I should say. I would imagine now that they've been dismissed that he will be brought back and would probably be in this tournament. That would be my assumption, but I've asked and not been told that yet. Uh, Jochi in Hochi. Chicago. This is Hochi. Hochi. The guy oh, who hooked me up with the Segway ride in Chicago. Oh, man, Hochi in Chicago. Thought that SmackDown Live was an okay show. I'm hopeful for the Nakamura AJ buildup. Don't expect them to reference the Wrestle Kingdom 10 match, so I'm okay with the whole dream match thing. Do you guys think these selfie promo vids are a cost-cutting decision? After two days, I'm done with them. Biggest highlight was Braun and Alexa on the Mixed Match Challenge. That was awesome. Seemed like they were allowed to improv a bit. Great to see Spud on 205 Live now, and it seems it's a new beginning for the show. I don't think it's as much a cost thing as it's just kind of something they're experimenting with. I mean, it's not as though... um, one promo segment is really going to, or even six of them are going to set them back on TV taping day. Um, but it is probably more convenient to do it this way, but I think it's more, um, it's, it's more just a, something they're experimenting with rather than an economic decision. I'm sure there's uh, I'm sure it's far more convenient, like mainly because you don't have to wait around for guys to nail their takes. Like, some some of these people cutting promos, it might take them a long time in order to kind of get that perfect interview right. So instead, you tell them, go off in the corner, find find a spot in the arena, and just practice to your heart's content into your own phone, and then just upload it, and we'll just use that. Like, again, it's all very experimental, uh, but I'm sure that has probably something to do with it. So, yeah, it could be any number of things, but I'm sure they maybe they enjoy the fact that it it save some resources as well. We go to Lewis from Scotland, a fairly bland SmackDown that struggled to keep the momentum going from the Nakamura Rumble win and just served as another week of plain old TV. The highlight was a decent Usos promo, although the cell door gimmick was a little cheesy and I worry they're going to get fed to the Bludgeon Brothers. I think we could see a Hogan-Nash-esque finish for the Owens and Zayn match next week though, as it's far too soon to call it quits with that team just yet. Where do you see them both for Mania? I hope it's not another Shane match, but it's basically the only direction I can see this going, and this storyline really doesn't look to be wrapping up anytime soon. Owens and Zayn for WrestleMania. Each other. Uh, I mean... Maybe. You know, the the way the television is structured, you would assume it's Owens and Zayn against Shane and Bryan. That's mm-hmm. what it, that, that feels like the natural match at the end of all of this. I have a hard time imagining that match happening. Um, but that's what the television 
leads you in that direction. Okay. The thing is, though, can you do a Daniel Bryan match without him taking a single bump? Of course you could. You could. But I mean, what's the point if promoting a Daniel Bryan match where he's not going to take any bumps? Are you what are you really doing then? Are you just like it's almost like a bait and switch with the audience? I mean, yes and no. I think audiences realize what what this man ha- is going through. And I don't think any fan necessarily wants to see him hurt himself. No one, no one understood when Bret Hart with all he went through with the Vince McMahon match, they had to structure that and no one enjoyed that. That wasn't fun to see. Cause that match was awful. But the thing is, I think Daniel Bryan could do a whole lot, even without taking a bump, like just the man using his grappling skills. I think you could make something really compelling. Um, it's, I'm just throwing it out there. It's possible. The thing is, it's like when you're talking about concussions, it's it's like you have all this research that it's like it's more than just like I was listening to this thing just the other day about how um, it was like a concussion doctor or something talking about how so many people, they're just so fixated on like these headshots that cause concussions when it's it's just blows to the body that can cause uh, concussions. And it's just there's so there's so much that could go wrong if you are coming from the standpoint that you just absolutely cannot afford this guy to uh, to jeopardize himself. So mm. it just becomes very complicated of how you structure a match that there's no matter the safest match possible could still have a slip up, could have an issue that mm. is this worth the risk? Because so far it hasn't been worth the risk for two years for this company. No, so that's true. That's very is true. It, is it now just to get this tag match out? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're right. That's true. And, in, and more so than that, I feel like the company will choose to be stubborn to, for something like this and not give off the impression that they're um, allowing even a, a very safe match to happen. And, and I don't even think it's like stubborn in a bad way. Like I don't, I don't fault them for making this mm-hmm. decision and standing by what their what their doctor has told them. Like they're being responsible with the information that has been given to them by their by their self appointed expert in this field. So, um, next up is Anthony here. Who the hell is this Spud you're talking about? That's Drake freaking Maverick. But all kidding aside, SmackDown was a ho-hum show. I know in the past, the the one bright spot was the tension between Shane and Brian, but even that has been cooled off for weeks. Poor Ty. He's very much on a Zack Ryder level of a guy who the crowd had interest in, but the company did not see it. I figure he'd at least be involved with Owens and Zayn, but Baron Corbin needs a win after being booked like an idiot on Sunday. We go to uh, Sam from Glasgow, who says, Spud as GM adds something to the show that I never realized was missing. But I can't can't help but wonder how him and EC3 would have worked together in the WWE. If my math is right, there are two empty slots in this tournament. Would I be foolish to think Ray is one? Mm, I would not put him in this tournament. That would seem like a waste to put him in. Yeah, uh, I think there there's just so much more potential with Ray uh, with the pairings on the main roster that I would not debut him at 205 Live. Um, for the amount of money that they're probably going to have to pay him, no. I don't think they'll do it. Maybe maybe they could put him in the tournament and then just take his match and just put it on YouTube every week. 
Derek from Chicago. I thought tonight's SmackDown would be a nice diversion from watching that giant orange-hued guy deliver the State of the Union. Instead, I was treated to another giant orange-hued dude in Zack Ryder. Seriously, it looked like he passed out in a tanning bed for the entire first year of the Trump presidency. Bobby Roode is not really good on commentary, but here's hoping for a double turn next week in his match against Rusev. I like the Carmella botched money in the bank spot. It was nice to see something a little different, and I'm glad it didn't result in a failed cash-in. Also, we did lose... <laughs> yeah, none of us brought up Dolph Ziggler on oh this show. God. What an wow. afterthought he was. I didn't think of him once tonight. Me neither. What was that? Boy. What yeah. was that? Seriously. Like that uh, whole absence for that? Didn't give it a thought. Didn't give it one thought tonight that he wasn't on the show. What? Great great point that uh, Derek brings up. Wow. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, we go to uh, Mondo Curry in the Bronx, who says, First, Rusev Day, which is over, but unfortunately not finished, although you wouldn't know it from this live audience. Secondly, a main event with four of the most compelling perform- performers in wrestling today. But what we'll be replaying in my brain is a poor prison door graphic closing over and over during the Usos' otherwise pretty solid promo, though you wouldn't know it from this live audience, complete with sound effect. And then, Daniel Bryan with the promo, no, I guess it was an announcement using a cell phone camera because that's what a GM would do. Oh, and it was accompanied by graphic captions popping up on screen. It was like they were rewinding a SmackDown to a time when these would be cool, which was arguably never. Well, listen, I'm not going to fault uh, a production for, for trying to do some new t- techniques. And you just got to learn if they don't work. Like we decided to try some branding on Rewind to Raw where we put some... Re- <laughs> Some rewind sound effects in there just to see if they would, uh, uh they didn't work with people. No, so, so we're work. ditching them, but you live and learn, right? We got to try these things. Yeah. Let's think do- maybe we'll, we'll try some clicking noises on this one. <laughs> let's do one more and then let's wrap up. Chase from New Orleans writes middling episode of SmackDown. I actually really like the selfie promos as a concept as having the performers cut them directly into the camera. And without the robotic interviewer, questions are way more compelling. The wording appearing on screen is a bit much, though. It needs to be toned down. The Sammy-Kevin breakup seems too rapid, and my guard is up for a swerve that this leads to AJ dropping the title to one of them at Fastlane. It would be so WWE to tease Nakamura and AJ for a month before taking it away. But maybe it's just bad storytelling and not a lead-up to a swerve. That's also very possible. The only thing that could possibly take that match away is if, God forbid, somebody hurts themselves and they can't make it to that, to WrestleMania which uh, I'm, I'm sure everybody on the roster from this point forward, if not even earlier than that, is on full alert to be as safe as they can heading into WrestleMania. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, barring an injury, I think that you could probably uh, lock that in for WrestleMania. And will be a big match come WrestleMania. Not going to be the key match, but... It's a solid match to have on that show. That'll probably get 20, 25 minutes. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, We have chatted for a long time tonight. I want to thank all of you that have made it to this point. Uh, Quickly, before we wrap up, Thursday, big day on the site at postwrestling.com. It is Keep It 2000's debut at Post Wrestling. Uh, You can go search for Keep It 2000. Subscribe. You can get it on iTunes, on Google Play, Stitcher, the TuneIn radio app. Uh, It is there. And Brian Mann and Nate Milton will be reviewing the June 5th, 2000 episode of Nitro, which Brian attended in the year 2000, and they will be joined by Damian Abraham. So that is Thursday. 
On Friday, we'll be back on Patreon uh, for our members of the Post Wrestling Cafe with a review of both parts of the season finale of this current season of Total Divas. Are you excited? I'm at the edge of my seat. I can't wait. I'm going to watch all of this tomorrow and catch up on what is going on in the world of Total Divas, which they announced way on Tuesday that another season of Total Bellas is coming in the spring. Of course. It's never going to end. You have to know what's going to happen with uh, mm. the uh, the Bellas are uh, making wine. You know what? I'm sure the uh, Rumble will be covered. I'm sure. And then Sunday, we'll be back with Ask Away, which uh, there is a thread up on the forum, up at forum.postwrestling.com, where you can leave questions. We've already got a ton. Uh, so we'll be going through those questions. That's going to be a monthly show. And you can ask us whatever you'd like. Uh, and that's coming out Sunday, all at postwrestling.com. So that is it for us. Way, do you have any uh, farewell to give the, the fine listeners? No. Okay. We'll see you later this week.